0: time to down your unders, down your unders. The Frontline Gaming Network brings to you Art of War, Down Under, review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game, hosted by Adam
1: Camilleri. Hello, and welcome to episode two of part zero, (laughs) or episode zero, part two of uh, Art of War Down Under's inaugural very, very, very first episode. Um, and moving forward, this this episode's going to be a little bit different, and this episode is mostly going to be dedicated almost entirely to a Ninth edition review. We're going to be going pretty systematically through Ninth edition, phase by phase, talking about the big, big talking points. We're going to be mentioning a lot of other bits, maybe not spending time on the ones that don't matter as much, and spending time on the ones that are going to really matter to the way we play the game. We're joined by the same four gentlemen that joined us before, that being Eric, the man Lathuris, who has one of the longest and most prolific uh, win streaks in Australian history, if not the world history, winner of CanCon, winner of Australian Masters, winner of all sorts of ATCs and team events and all sorts of things. You'll know him most likely as a gentleman who made the gaunt carpet a thing to be feared and a force to be reckoned with. Um, Say hello, Ez. What's going on? lads and let it. <laughs> Uh Next up, we have Jeremy Marigold, who a lot of you may not know him uh, as well as others, but he's a three-time CanCom winner, officially twice, but I say three times because I'm in the know. And uh, he is, uh, all, all three of these gentlemen, I should have mentioned, are members of the 2019 Australian uh, WTC team. He did very well, became fourth. And uh, they're also members of the 2020, uh, what is now the 2021 uh, season. So uh, Jeremy Marigold is a prolific an amazing, incredible brain in the, the tournament scene. Say hello, Jeremy. G'day, folks. How are you? <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> and, <that>
2: lastly,
1: <laughs> and lastly, we have Matt, the Plague Hulk, Morisoli, who you guys may know as the winner of the, was it the 2018 Australian ITC season because he won the, the flight and the package to the LVO 2020 where he went 5-1, and one, uh, losing only to Stephen Pampereen, who ended up coming uh, making the top eight. Uh, Matt has won just about everything there is to win in Australia. And he's here now to talk to us about ninth edition. Say hello, brother. G'day, guys. What's going on? So, moving forward, uh, this episode is going to be available to patrons only. The next episode I do, which um, will be structured as the way we wish it to move forward, this is just a taste that I get you guys involved and liking the content, and because our hand has been a little bit forced with the release schedule of Ninth edition, I thought I had a couple more weeks to get this together, but uh, we're working with what we've got. So, I've pulled together some of my best and brightest, and uh, we're going to be breaking down Ninth edition now, moving forward, uh, part two of... Um, this podcast is going to be dedicated to the practical applications of what we're reviewing in part one. Part one of this uh, podcast will be reviewing content, e.g. like we'll take get a Psychic Awakening faction, uh, one of those, you know, most definitely we're going to be reviewing the the changes to Death Guard. And the first episode, I'll get a prolific, a a well-rounded, fantastic Death Guard player on. They're going to break down with me uh, how good Death Guard is now the changes and things that have been added, the new plays that they have available to them. And then in part two, we'll be writing lists with that information. We'll be giving you guys the insider insight into how to make those things apply when you put them on the battlefield and on the table. On top of that, we'll be reviewing lists that are submitted by the patrons. So if I have a Dark – like I said, if I have a Death Guard player on and um, I'll be opening the questionnaires up and the list reviews up from the patrons – and uh, you guys can submit lists and review them and break them down, improve them, pull them apart, put them back together live on the podcast. On top of that, we'll be answering questions about the things you think are important to the game. Now, moving on to this one. So a new edition and a new day has dawned on uh, 40K in the world. And it came a little bit sooner than we thought. I think that g hand was forced by the leaks. I've got no doubt that this stuff was always going to be released to the public. But uh, when it was, uh, it was a bit abrupt. And gentlemen, like, hello and welcome to... This episode, how are you guys feeling about a new edition on the doorstep?
2: Loving it, mate. Ready to go.
1: Ready, raring, ready, ready to
2: go.
1: go? Why? Why are you ready to go? What's, what's got you keen as mustard?
2: Oh, I mean, man, it's keen. It, um, it's pretty great to be able to play a game and, and learn new stuff again, you know, instead of playing the same edition for a couple of years, not really learning anything new, just kind of adapting to metas, uh, being able to start fresh, kind of, kind of energizes you a bit again.
1: And as we mentioned in the first episode, for those of you who've watched that one first, um, I think we all were already we're all ready for a palate cleanser after the way the the ending to, to Eighth Edition. So I could, yeah, I feel I feel invigorated. I know a lot of these other gentlemen too. Now this review, we're starting, we're going systematically through this bad boy. And so the first stuff we're going to be mentioning was the the overall changes, and then we're going to be going down phase by phase, command phase, movement phase, working our way through with some of the pivotal changes. The First change. That, I, that was noted to me, that jumped out to me when I was going through the rule set was the ca- changes to coherency. Now, Eric has wanted to touch on this because this is so pivotal to the Horde and the way he likes to play the game. So, take it away, my man. Yeah,
2: so this one was a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, I'd kind of heard rumors that this would happen and I was uh, was really hoping it wouldn't. But it is what it is. So, we gotta got to adapt and move on. Uh, so, so, pretty much for those that don't know, uh, if you have the, the big change there is if you've got six or more models, uh, each model has to be within coherency of two squad members. Mm. Uh, so, so EG, I mean, that's, the, that's the death of the, the tendril, the daisy chain, yeah? Yeah, pretty much. So at first thought, you probably think, oh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's ways around that. You can kind of do the whole two single file lines next to each other or little triangles through a unit. But then you, if if you kinda of set it up and you and you realise when you start removing casualties that, that actually becomes an absolute nightmare to keep to keep mm. intact. Uh so I, I think that that style of play that I've been using with the tendrils on those big squads, I, I think it's dead. Um yep. I I'm probably gonna give it one one last go, but I, I don't think it's got legs anymore. So uh, what are you gonna do instead? So I mean if I wanna try and keep the horde dream alive, I'm looking at doing uh so m s u gaunts, so just wow, heaps of ten man gaunt units, what even is that? <laughs> yeah, so there's not really a big emphasis on killing stuff anymore, so you can kind of get away with yeah. things like that, I think um so yeah ten ten to twelve man gaunt units, or uh i mean the the other thing to do is there's is gonna be a big push on on m s u like there was in fifth edition yeah uh, because they kind nice. of they kind of ignore all the nerfs that have that have come out through the movement phase, like running five man units or three man units. yeah, they're kind of immune to any of that bad stuff, and and it's I mean, at the end of the day, it ends up being just way less to keep track of. You don't need to worry about oh, I need to make sure I'm not gonna lose half my unit, you know moving them around, mm. especially if you're playing top level games and towards the end of the game, you're stressing out or or you run out of time the last thing you want to do is have to check that every single model is near a couple of his buddies. Yeah.
1: It's just the, the, the onus is so heavily weighted on avoiding mistakes. Like you've you got to be so you, – you've got to cross your T's and dot your I's so much more than you'd ever have to before. Um, yeah. And so you're saying absolutely. you're just going to avoid most of, most of the pitfalls of that by just taking the same, possibly the same amount of models but just in different size units. Yes,
2: yeah, so, I mean like the 10-man going units still have that problem. Yeah. Um, so something else I'm probably looking to doing is like uh, lots of five-man warrior units and, and things like Tyrant Guard and stuff like that. Oh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, because like, those units just, I mean, they don't, they don't care about any of that stuff. You don't need to worry about it. They still function the same. Uh, if anything, it's better. It's, it's just a better yeah. game for them. And I, I think you'll see a lot of the top players all playing MSU because it's going to mm-hmm. keep the game. It's going to keep the pace of their game up. And they're not going to have to. not going to get stuck trying to make sure they can keep coherency all over the table.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. So ticking this question, over, So ticking this talking point over to to Jez and Matt. Anything guys want to touch on regarding coherency? Um,
3: well, I think Eric's covered Eric's the specialist, but um, mm. obviously it's certainly going to affect the uh, horde army's ability to um, be aggressive while hold that backfield presence, like with big units. So obviously the MSU motivation is there. It'll just be interesting to see what the emphasis is like exactly how much they can accomplish without having those big units that can sustain casualties and stay alive. It, yeah, Mm. it's going to be very interesting.
2: Yeah. Drastically challenges.
1: So moving on, just some, just some couple of things that I noticed have changed. I'm going to bunch a couple of these together. So firstly, um, GW has clearly, 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 clearly said that we always measure to bases. Now I know there's been a lot of amb- ambiguity around this point in uh, eras gone by. I even remember playing against you, Eric, in seventh edition, and I was the, in the only game actually we've ever played together, which was at uh, a Mensa team event. And when I had well, when you were trying to shoot me, you ha- you were shooting your scat bikes, which overhung your base by an inch and a half. But when I was shooting you with my veterans with my plasma guns, I had to measure to your base. Now. That stuff's been, been gone. Maybe that would have gone from last edition, but I just wanted to make a point of that because I love that being in an inclusion. Um, moving on straight away from there, though, has um, put a terrain recommendation into their core rules. Which I haven't seen notice before. I don't know if you guys have noticed it as well, but they've said, in general, this is verbatim, in general, we recommend having one terrain feature on the battlefield for every 12
2: by 12 area rounding up. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I, think, I think we're likely to see a little bit more than that. Um, yep. I think it's more likely we'll see one sort of ruin per uh, twelve by twelve, and Put then kind of so, then, and things like craters and forests to kind of fill in the gaps a bit. That's, that's yeah, what so I you think. think
1: there'll be one one meaningful piece of terrain? We're not just going to see a barricade or a crater chucked in every uh, table corner. Yeah, well, let, let's hope not. <laughs> yeah, let's absolutely I hope not. Um, so the next one here, um, they've clarified wholly within. Now, I'm not sure how you, what you're thinking was on was this before, guys. But uh, things like disembarking from transports has been stated to be wholly within. I think that's going to be attached to quite a few different things moving forward. Do you guys see that as a, as a big change? Um,
0: look, I don't think it's a big change in itself. I think it's just uh, mm. a, a few of these bits and pieces are more just about clarity and about making sure that, uh, that everyone, yep. no matter where you're playing in the world, is sort of playing it the same way. Um, I know that having traveled twice last year for you know international events, uh, mm. you know people play things a bit differently everywhere you go. And uh, I, I guess this is really just about clarifying. I don't think it makes any real meaningful difference to the game. Uh, look, you'll lo- you lose half an inch on a 25 mil base or whatever it is, a, 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 an inch on a 32, whatever it may
1: be. But I, I don't think it really matters all that much. No, fair shot. That's why we're moving on. Next one is uh, the change to modifiers. So that being... Uh you can't go past a minus one to hit or a plus one to hit or a minus one to wound, plus one to wound. Now this is a significant change to I think every single one of you guys who I know personally have used against me stacking multiple modifiers <laughs> to hit, especially you Matt. Like negative two to hit, um, firstly negative two to hit plague bearers and then negative two and negative three to hit shining spears it was a huge part of both Jeremy and Matt's success in the in the last edition. So
3: I'll chuck this over to Jeremy. How does this affect your thinking of the game? Well, I mean, I think it's a good. In some ways, it's a good change. I don't like it. Uh, to be honest, I don't like the fact they're just capping it at one. I would have mm-hmm. rather them do a more uh, a change of the mechanics that gave the negatives, and adjust those yeah. so that it was a lot harder to get negatives. Because as well, it stands, it's... sorry, yep, go continue. On. No, no, you're, you're no, right. I was, I was interrupting. Yeah, like as it stands, I think that. Part of the the nuance and the interesting nature of the game is being able to find combos and removing the ability to get combos at all just by saying, well, you can only ever get minus one. I think that's a, a little bit uh, bland, to be honest. But in mm-hmm. far, as, as far as its application, obviously it is, represents a buff to certain armies and a nerf to others. It's a buff to armies with bad ballistic skill that really oh, struggled. Sorry. with Like Tower, for example, really hated to play armies with stacking negatives. Um, It's a relative nerf orcs that kind of had that inbuilt, Um, so they've relatively been nerfed as far as their shooting goes, Um, and it's obviously a big nerf to Eldar because Eldar really like to be able to do that, Um, so it, it will hurt certain Eldar builds. Because that was one of the pillars of their durability,
1: wasn't it? I mean, they, they don't have high toughness. They don't necessarily have good saves. They do have a lot of invulnerable saves, but
3: that negative to hit was one of the reasons that they found some staying power. Yeah, well, I mean, although towards the end of the edition, you saw Eldar players pivot to use more of the custom craft worlds. So a lot of yep, Eldar literature were avoiding, they weren't off often apart from the flyers, which often would stay LA talk and could then lightning fast reflex for, you know, reaction, sorry, for negative two, negative three. Um, It doesn't really necessarily hurt the core vehicles. The flyers just won't obviously be Talk. The only thing that does hurt a little bit is the conclave, the warlock conclave that would typically want to be um, at least running some sort of like a couple of stacking buffs. Like they might have conceal put on them and then they'd also use the stratagem for lightning fast reactions. So Mm. they would get like a borderline baseline negative two. Whereas that going to negative one hurts them. But you know what? I think it's okay. I think you just, now that we know that's a thing, we just build our lists around it. And to be honest, yeah, it does remove some of that toxicity of, t- imagine t- like when you have to tell someone, look, you actually can't hit me. That is, it pretty, was a, pretty bad. it was a negative. I can tell you as a guard player, it was,
1: it was crap. <laughs> <laughs> it was shit house. Like you had to, I had to do so much extra thinking, trying to bait out people's lightning-fast reactions before I committed like meaningful firepower, just so I knew what the lay of the land was and I could adjust my expectations of my shooting phase and stuff. Um, Moving on to this next one, Um, this and this, we're going to stay with Jeremy for this one. So detachments costing CP rather than gaining. So this is a fundamental change and kind of a flipping of the coin here. So instead of Feeling detachments to gain your CP, you know, five from a battalion, et cetera. You start with 12 and you spend those to unlock more slots. Jeremy, what do you want to talk to us about?
3: Yeah, I think it's obviously a huge change that really does represent a massive paradigm shift in the way people think. Um, and obviously, it's going to materialize itself. And I'd be obviously interested to hear what the others think about this as well. But I feel like the original first thing it's going to do is really um, limit soup armies. I think now that soup armies, Because those detachments have to be monofaction. So now, being kind of having to, uh, if you want to take a soup, you have to be spending CP on it rather than gaining CP. It really changes the way that you look at those soup. Because often you'd, and, and that can obviously reflect on chaos, but obviously there's a lot of armies that not only would you be getting all this extra flavor from stratagems and from extra characters, extra psychic powers, if you put in a few cheap troop options, you'd also be gaining CP. Mm. Um, whereas now there's a disconnect between your CP total and your diversity in terms of your actual list. So I feel like a lot more people are going to be taking mono armies, which I think is a great, yeah. elegant change for GW to be able to incentivize that without having these ridiculously powerful command benefits, um, like yeah. doctors and stuff. So I think I've done this really, is to- yeah. Sorry, go on.
1: I think they've done this really cleanly. Like, if if I was to put it into a word, Eric, you're you're not somebody. You're somebody who has had great success with mono builds, like Tyrannis, and you've only ever sprinkled in GSC like very, very rarely, only for a few bits of text choices. The whole body of your army, I think, has been consistently nids throughout the like the entirety, like the the two, the middle like year and a half to
2: two years of Eighth Edition. How do you? What do you think of this change? Yeah, I think it's uh, great for the game. To be honest, man, I think it's going to really enforce. Uh... More balanced style lists. Like I think you're going to see a lot of those single battalion style or like battalion or brigade style armies, uh, which is going to force people to take different units. You know, like you're going to, you're not just going to have a my like whole army flies and shoots. You know, you're going to have a few counter charge units. You're going to have a few little fast skirmishing units. You're going to have a few objective yeah. campers. You know, like it's not all going to be. I think it's less likely we're going to see one unit type spammed now, uh, which I, well, yep. I think is great. Um, I mean, it hurts some armies, but uh, I think overall it's pretty good. I 100% agree. All right, lastly,
1: Matt, you, This I think of the three gentlemen and myself here, this is going to change the way you play the game the most because you are a Chaos Suit player. You would be taking three factions in and three detachments in literally every list you've built in the last three or four years, pretty much. Um, oh yeah, I'd, I'd take
0: I'd take five if I could. Um, <laughs> to be honest, right? Like it's it's pretty shit for some armies. Um, on honestly, like I, I, I disagree with both the other guys. I, I think it's terrible. I think the way mm-hmm. that it um that it punishes certain armies is really really bad. Uh, like mono chaos space marines, mono chaos Demons are just not competitive. Mono thousand suns. Look, let, let's be real here, right? when was the last time you saw Mono Thousand Suns do anything other than, you know, have their Rubric Marines die? It's... Uh, <laughs> we, we have to see where where points come out and sort of what happens here. And, you know, maybe you can justify souping two things together. Uh, but given how tight CP always was in those chaos lists and the way this has been put together, for those armies, I feel like it's it, it's very negative to the way they play. That being said, perhaps, you know, if the meta shifts in a certain way and the goalposts for power change, then you don't need to have, you know, the classic build of 90 plague bearers with all your smites behind it that are invincible. Obviously, that that list doesn't work anymore. But as an example, you don't need to run your three factions in that same way. And perhaps that will sort of become the change that we'll see across the board. But out of the box, look,
1: it's probably bias here, but I really don't like it. So... Just extrapolating what you, you think the the three faction army is, is dead dead in the water it's not going to exist well
0: it, it depends on what it is right the three faction chaos army is dead in the water because it relies on you know the powerful
1: stratagems you have in certain books so heavily and you just can't have that anymore Well I might be wrong in saying but I think at the end, towards the last probably six months of eighth edition that was the chaos was only the only army taking three factions in one list yeah unless there was some obscure uh, yeah. imperial soup
0: there were some weird marine lists that had a few different Types of uh, of Crawford, oh, not Crawford. Sorry, uh, chapter tactics. But they, they were mostly two. Look, there were some some Eldar soupy things that had three. But you're right. Look, really, the majority of armies you would have seen taking three distinctly different factions would have been Chaos and the odd Imperial soup list, I think
1: yeah no fair enough i think that was very well wrapped up gentlemen now we are going to be moving on to the command phase this is a brand new phase semi-pointed or semi-ported over from age of sigma they've got their hero phase now the first one of this the the first thing that differs here is that if your army is battleforged which is probably every army i'm going to make for this edition uh you get one cp at the start of your command phase what are
3: your thoughts oh yeah i mean i obviously i think you're probably right like most tournament packs will want battleforged armies but as a result for just the way it will work. Or, um, well, you know, maybe, maybe that's not true. Maybe tournaments will say, well, if you're already getting a bonus, then you we can allow people to bring non forged armies, which might allow things like allies again. And you could actually ally Xenos factions and things like that. So that could be really interesting. Um, that's, who a, knows? that's a hell of a Wild West prospect well, right there. I mean, who knows? But, like, I doubt it, right? And <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Matt. Over hi. to you. So, how, hi, Matt. Uh, abilities.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what are some things you think might occur in the command phase? I know for one, at the top of my head, I reckon not only will my will be done go in there, but I think miracle dice will be generated in the command phase. Anything else you can think of off the top of your head that would take place then? No, those
0: would be the two that I'd, I'd gravitate towards assuming would be uh, be in that phase. I, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, actually. It, it makes sense for them to put some. Um, I, I guess rules going forward that sort of need to happen uh, at the start of the turn. It helps them clean up the order of operations of a few things, being able to put them in the command phase. So I like that it's uh, that it is defined as a separate phase there. At, out of the box, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot happen in there. But I think as the edition progresses, it'll be one of those things where uh, you know we see more and more get moved into there instead of just being at the start of the turn.
1: Yeah, I think this is the this is the new start of the turn phase, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. That's what I would sort of I sort of see this phase as. All right. So next up, we have the movement phase. So some of the, one of the first things I noticed here was that pivots count for movement, and you know I've always counted that they do already, but it clearly states you have to pick the furthest the point of the model that's going to move the furthest um when moving anything say like a vehicle or a flyer i like this clarification a lot because a lot of people i know um always measure from the center and i see them and i do it it's something i never pick people up on i'm probably guilty of it well at some point when i'm moving like five or six tanks or sentinels or whatever but um i like that this is being clearly stated has this made any impact on you guys at all
0: yeah so um if you go back to the game I played against Adam Napier on stream on Down Under Network uh, from last year's Terracon, there's actually a, a bit in the middle where he probably spent three or four minutes trying to work out the movement of one of his knights. And what, what had sort of happened here is that he wasn't playing the rule this way, and it was actually quite important. So I was trying to explain to him that the back part of his knight that couldn't move through the building had to move in a certain way as the, the model's base moved. And sort of the net result of this, we went back and forth a bit. We actually, I put it on my time because I had plenty and I wanted to make sure he did it right. Uh, But the net result was that the knight ended two inches further away uh, from a demon prince that he wanted to charge than it was going to otherwise. Because uh, when you have models that are static, despite the fact that, you know, in reality, the knight's legs would move and it would walk around the building, the actual base can't fit through the building, you actually have to move it around and sort of navigate the models as you go. Um, And it's good they've clarified that this is how you do it because. A lot of people didn't do it. And look, two inches, you know, it's two inches, right? But the difference between rolling a seven or a nine on the charge is pretty big. Anyone who has pluses to charge out a deep strike in eighth edition would have told you that. Uh, so it's good that that's
1: been clarified. Absolutely right. Now, so the next one, and this is a talking point that Jeremy specifically wanted to touch on. This is strategic reserves. This is the paying of CP at the start of the game before deployment to chuck things in reserve. Um, and it's, from what I can tell, They've specifically told us that you keep this a secret until deployment is um, is about to start and you decide who's deploying first. And then you reveal what you've got in reserve,
3: which I think is an exciting bit of interplay. Jeremy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's really cool. I mean, that, that rule alone about the secret deployment is really interesting and brings a whole new dimension to the way deployment's going to work. Um, in the past, the way you could effectively do that would just be to keep your the, when you do the you know the the version of the missions where you take turns deploying um, unit at a time, you just keep your the units you want to be hidden at, as far back into the deployment as possible. But now you obviously it's fully secret, which is cool. But just the fact that you could tactically, strategically reserve anything um, mm. allows for some very interesting options and changes to certain units that were otherwise vulnerable to just getting alpha strike, like. For example, a Castellan is one, one unit that yeah. comes to mind. Another one would be like Magnus. Um, mm. One of Magnus' biggest issues is if you're playing him on a table where you can't hide him and you don't get first turn, he just kind of dies. Whereas now if you can guarantee that he's going to come on and get a chance to buff himself to a three-up, um, that's a huge buff for Magnus. And, it's uh, an amazing buff for him, yeah. Yeah, and obviously Matt can talk about that in more detail, but I feel like it's going to really change the way certain units play. Um, It's going to change the tempo of the game a a lot as well. Like people will be able to reserve units and drip feed them on depending on the way the opponents, you know, the battles going on. And what's interesting is those rules that I've seen, they don't actually stipulate that strategic reserves have to come on by turn three. Um, So unless that becomes a a rule that's added later, it kind of does. so Sorry, they didn't, in, in, this, in this rule set, they haven't said that, but they did say that in the
1: GW preview when they previewed Strategic Reserve. They said, uh, and they told you when they could come on and come off, I believe. I'm not going to say it with absolute certainty. Yeah, I but, thought uh, it so maybe we, we do
3: Yeah, I thought it came on from, they say they have to come on from this turn, but they don't actually tell you that it ends on turn three. So my understanding is that they haven't actually captured it even with the preview rules. So if that's the case and they're letting people bring units in all the way to the end of the game, um, that's obviously going to really change the way the, the, the you know, because people will obviously yeah. and because it, it's based on power level, I can imagine people taking units that are really low power level, so they could reserve a large part of their army for cheap, um, and then just drip feed on things like brimstone horrors and um, various other units just just to jump onto objectives. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, right. So it's a bit of a I think it's slightly problematic. Um depends on how it works, but it will result in a situation where um it the movement phase and the way that people block out reserves will be a integral part of the game like keeping mm. creating like a u shape in your deployment zone so you you're basically blocking out most of the board's um, kind of like the sides mm. so yeah like an inverted, the horseshoe, yeah yeah the um, the horseshoe shape. But on yeah. top of
1: that, I think there's we know for a fact that uh, flyers are not re- um, restricted by this this rule. They can fly on and come on as they please.
0: Yeah, look, uh, I'm just gonna I'm actually gonna go back to that question just for a minute there, Adam, because I think there's a few really oh. interesting uh, things to point out. So this is a bit of a throwback, Again, I I know neither of you guys played a competitive 40K in 5th ed. But back in 5th ed, it was actually much the same. You could put anything you wanted in reserve. You actually rolled for it to come on. Uh, and it was one of, I, I guess, one of the top-level strategies is a lot of the very good players uh, would often reserve everything. Um, and knowing that that sort of is coming back into the game and that units that couldn't go into reserve before, like how, how often have you you've seen a unit that you've said, well, look, this unit would be great if I could just protect it. Uh, yeah. That sort of thing, you know, that discussion comes up all the time. So that's one thing. The other thing is it gives a lot more value back to going first. If you have reserves that come through all game, being able to bring your own reserves in to block for your opponent's reserves is going to become a really cool little meta game uh, that you don't really have uh, now, given that everything comes on by turn three and the game ends on turn six. So now that you know, reserves can potentially come through up till turn four or turn five, we don't know, obviously, if that is the intention. We'll... As we'll find out, but it gives a lot
1: more value back to going first. You're actually right, um, uh, Jeremy. So the stipulations for the strategic reserves: battle round one, no strategic reserves; battle round two, set up wholly within six of any battlefield edge; battle round three plus, set up wholly within six of any battlefield edge. Um, Oh, sorry, the setup um, number two was not enemy Battlefield Edge or in enemy deployment zone, so you're restricted there. But, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You can do it longer terms of the game. So um, I find that very, very exciting. Now, the the CP spending, spendage, expenditure here is quite significant depending on um, how much power level you wish to use. I think it's an interesting choice by GW to use power level again for something of this... Caliber of this uh, essentially integrity into the game because I feel like this is one of the biggest make or break choices that you can make at the start of a game to adapt to your opponent, um, and it's it's ruled off something that wasn't. I th- well, I'm just going to say it out. Power level was a bit of a joke in Eighth Edition. Now I. I'm going to put some confidence on G-Dub and say that if they're using it for something as intrinsic and important as this, I'm hoping they've got it right. And I'd back them to get it somewhat right. But it's for 1 to 9 power level is 1 CP, uh, 10 to 19 to 20 to twenty nine three et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So for something like more, any ideas how many many power level Magnus is, Matt? Or that's like why would you know? it's like 30, I don't know. I love it. Anyway, I'm going to look it up now because I want to know. Look it up. I think we, I think we need to know. Um, but moving on. So,
3: Sorry, go on. So, 21.
1: Yeah. It's 21. <laughs> so, how many CP is that? That's two CP. No, three CP. Three CP to Deep Start Magnus. That's not too bad. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't do that. <laughs> you would totally do that. If you're starting no, with 12, you, you, would,
0: you would totally do it, man. Yeah, if you're then playing my- a, a mono a mono thousand sons list
1: that we've already discussed would <laughs> well, be absolutely dog shit. Well, yeah. If you're playing <laughs> mono thousand sons, he's all you got. So, you know,
3: invest. Um all right. So Jeremy, I think you had something to say there. Yeah, I was just gonna say that another interesting thing at the moment is that they haven't put a cap on what you can put in reserves. Um and as in, in eighth edition, there was you could only put um obviously it changed through the edition, but it, it ended with you could put half your points um in reserve, and, yeah. a, and half rounding down your unit count, so yep. um, they don't have that at the moment for night. as per the rules we've seen, there's no restrictions, which means you theoretically can put almost all your army in, in reserves. Um, yep. And, and for all, basically all your, your CP. Well, a lot of CP, but obviously some units come with come with uh, free reserves. Like some units just come with uh, deep strike or whatever. What do you want to call it? Um, so
1: if there if there's going to be a restriction on the power level or the amount of units you can put in reserve, I presume it's going to come out in chapter approved. Um, I think that's where it came out in the first place as well. So we might have to tread
3: water on that one until yeah, we. And that's why I contains. I feel a lot of it's hard. I assume they will. I, I'd like to I see them they do it. I, go, yeah. so let's we could just assume that there's that restriction, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. obviously, it's a very big change just because it will it will mean some units that, um, like an example, might be something like uh, you know how before we had raven guard and white scars their centurions were really good because they could come in with special deployment um well now things like aggressors and centurions for things like salamanders become really interesting Hmm. um because salamanders can now outflank with really interesting rules and um very powerful flamers and stuff like that so i think that a lot of units will gain a lot of power that we just previously had discounted so You know, So it'll be interesting to see how people make... And I think that's going to be one of the most interesting um, original things people do is try to make use of the new strategic rule, uh reserves rules. Agreed. All right, moving on. Next one is the fly keyword changes.
1: Now, Matt's wanted to tackle this one. So no more shooting when you fall back if you've got the fly keyword.
0: Yeah, so look, this is a really big one uh, for combat players because uh, when... The I, I think Jeremy talked about it at the start when the blood letters came out and then pinning became this really integral part of the game. Uh, a lot of people immediately turned to fly screens. It was literally how can I get a screen that has fly in my army? Yeah, uh, yep. to put it in the way and to stop pinning. Now look, pinning's got other issues in this edition that you know are going to change the way that pinning works, uh, but. There was no negative to having a unit with fly behind a wall that would push back reserves and you'd get charged and either they'd kill you or they'd rap on you, but rapping on you actually had no benefit and that unit would fall back and it would shoot you and it would do whatever else it was going to do. I think this is really going to take away from the the benefit uh, and I guess the appeal of fly screens. They're not going to be seen as that important anymore. I think people are going to play a lot more around single bigger sized units to screen out sections of their army rather than smaller units with fly. I know that impulses were used for this a lot. Where people would put two or three impulses along the front of their army and you know, they're quite tough to kill. Uh, you're not really going to shoot one through with miscellaneous fire unless you put something that's actually got, you know, a decent bit of dacker behind it into killing one. But now there's actually a downside to doing that, and I think that's good for the game too.
1: I agree. I like this a lot. Um, I think the fly keyword was overwhelmingly beyond any other, the best possible keyword you could ever have. And the fact that there was no other keyword that was even close to it uh was I think was the biggest oh, reason I this think, got changed. I think Adeptus Cestades was the better keyword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Okay, yeah, no, that's fair. That's
3: totally fair. But uh no, you're right. And and I think that's huge. I think people they might I don't think people quite understand how important that change is. Um Because not, you know, not only does it mean that, that it's not so much the matter of like, you think about armies that have lots of flyers or units with the fly keyword. It goes into army composition because when you look at like an army like Tau um, and how important it is against Tau, like you just can't pin them, right? Because they've got all got fly. So Tau become this incredibly difficult army to play against because you just can't pin them. Well, now all armies with fly you now almost don't need to pin you just need to tag yeah so you, the whole like people are saying like oh you know it, it pinning's a lot harder now there's that stratagem that lets you break pins but in saying that there's a lot more there's a lot less emphasis on needing to wrap is that what you're saying yeah like obviously in some situations you the reason why people wrapped is because they'd rap on screens they'd rap on those scouts that are mm-hmm. positioned out the front but now like if you get in deep with a big unit and you can you've got lots of movement, like I'm thinking something like, for example, the Warlock Council um, just goes in and tags three or four things that previously wouldn't matter, like because they'd have the fly keyword. Um, yep. things like repulses, for example, is a good is a good one. Now you just touch that repulser. Okay, repulsor doesn't really do anything back to you in combat. Yes, it theoretically can, some of them can shoot into the combat, but you can obviously manipulate that. Um, Hmm. depending on the situation. But it really can change the way that that plays out by being able to tag certain things and stop them from being able to shoot outside of that combat, Um, Hmm. which is really, you can really abuse that. You could use like a throwaway unit. um, And then as a result, you can really affect the way in which that unit will be able to operate absolutely and there's
1: there's a lot more talking points we're going to get through throughout this and i think we're going to be coming i'm just going to put it out there we're going to be coming back to this a couple more times because there's other layers to this that we haven't quite gotten to yet so hold that thought uh, we'll be right back so the next one is um i think there's just a clarification to disembarking upon transports i know i was a i the f- the very first event i ever did coverage of there was a, a rules dispute about whether you could fall back into a transport now that was because the the models were engaged, they were wrapped, but there was a transport within three inches of one of the models. And if that model was able to disembark, the other ones would be able to take the place of that model and they'd all be able to do essentially a, a single file in, embarking one model at a time. Now, this they've clarified that, so there's no more ambiguity there. Every model must finish a normal move, advance, or fallback within three inches of a transport. So you have to be able to finish a move within three and then jump in. There's no single file, let's all get in the and take off, boys. Now, the next one of this is disembarking. So uh, previously, like I've I've even done this before. I had centurions in a land raider. It was black templars. It was sick. Don't don't tear me down yet. It was fun. Um, but I would always get a, a, a two. I think it's two over two inches of extra movement when I disembarked from that, um, because I would be able to be placed within three inches instead of wholly within three inches, which is what it is now. So effectively, this just boils down to when you disembark from transport just add three inches to your movement you don't need to place them and then move them again now there's no there's no need to you just move an extra three inches out of your transport and no need to double handle is this going to change anything intrinsically for you gents uh no i don't think so i think
0: it's just speeding up the game and clarifying things making things a little bit easier again look the the only real difference like as sort of minute as it is is if you're moving a unit out of a transport uh and you sort of you want to place them there, and then move some of the stuff around, and do some weird stuff with bubbling and the way that you set your uh, your army up. Then look, it's sort of I, I guess it's a little bit of a nerf, but in reality, the way it's going to play out is that it really isn't going to be uh, anything that's going to make any no, noticeable, tangible difference
1: on a game. I, and I think I honestly, think it's better this way. I think the the extra movement you got out of there was it kind of exploitative, especially when you were doing things like aberrant starting in a Goliath on the on the front line and stuff. You would always get that extra inch or two of movement. And when you were 24 inches away, that, that can make a really big difference between them making a charge against your stuff that's a couple of inches within your dawn of war deployment or not. Now, jumping over to the next one, um, you can't you can't just dis- you can't charge or heroically intervene from a destroyed vehicle. Now, I don't think anybody was really planning anything around this before, but I know and I heard people talking about getting Ragnar Black Mane, putting him in a in a pimp wagon impulsor and bum rushing him into people's faces because they'd blow up the impulsor, he'd six inch heroic intervene into somebody, and just start chopping. Um, do you guys think it's a good change? Isn't yeah? Isn't this the same? Wasn't this already in the game? I had a feeling oh, it was. Um, but I, I, the reason I mentioned it is because yeah. I heard somebody talking about doing that with Ragnar, and I could, I couldn't get a fix on whether you could or not.
0: I was under the impression this was to stop uh, people deep striking transports, uh, intentionally getting and them it, killed yeah. in Overwatch, then placing units three inches or four inches away and then charging with those units. I was under the impression
1: that you already could do this. Yes, yeah, I was actually almost under the impression as well. But I thought I'd mention it because it was something that popped out to me. And also, I yeah. know people were doing this in the start of this edition because they were moving advancing things like um, combi plasma rhinos with berserkers inside them, rolling, making sure they rolled a one or a two on one of the combi plasma shots, getting the berserkers out, and then charging them. So, so the, the, rhino, the rhino would auto-explode, auto auto-die. Um, <laughs> so that was something everyone was doing at the start. That was a rhino you never shot overwatch. Like That's <laughs> right. <out. laughs> um, all right. So the next one is uh, the aircraft changes with the strategic reserves: fly on, fly off, as it was, as essentially as it was in seventh edition. We've all we've already kind of touched on this, but I mean, what do you guys think of this change—the fly on,
3: fly off stuff? Uh, I don't, look, I think. We- sorry, you can oh. go, Matt. You go.
0: No, you, you can go, you can go, Jez. I, I, I've talked enough. Right,
3: <laughs> take it away. It's funny because I was, was going. Me and Matt played a game. Um, me and Matt love playing games together, and we played a game. What was <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like? Around it was towards the end of last year at a team event, and me and Matt were on separate oh, yeah. teams. Like me, it was the it was the four Bulls game. i um, Adam, and we were on the same team, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we played against. Um, Matt was on a different team with Rory and. Um, Josh and, uh, who else was on that team? Uh, that- Roy, Josh and Aaron. Yeah. Yep. and Aaron. And, um, yeah, like me and Matt played a game and Matt had a, a dark elder like bird that he used to like blow up some, he blurred up uh, a couple of teleport homers for Deathwatch, watch and just did some shooting with it. And then I knew that like, I had the capacity to do the whole movement block, stop him from like make, force him to basically kill the, the, his own plane and it's the most annoying interaction to have to tab with people because you kind of need their own input they need to agree with you about like yeah. where's the turning arc where's the middle of the plane what base like what you know at what positioning is it this and that and then you're basically forcing someone to be involved in the like toxic destruction of their own unit because um, and i really even though it was an interaction that people used and some people felt like was a skill test I really think it was a very negative thing to have to force somebody mm. to say, wait a second, show me, help me with this because I need to kill your own vehicle in the movement phase. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they, so, they have to consent to the mistake they made. Like it's it's can't not be a yeah. negative interaction. Yeah, it's horrendous. And like <laughs> me and that ended up after some interesting conversations, we ended up <laughs> resolving it. But like it's <laughs> something that really you shouldn't have to do, you know? Like I, I really think this change helps. It's... um. So so, firstly, who won that game? Uh, sorry, man. I can't remember. But I do remember who won the round. <laughs> you, know, you
0: know what? I, I reckon the results might be on down
1: under pairings. We might have to go and have a look.
0: Um, <laughs> uh, they'll be,
1: they'll be uh, no, in the so, show notes. I'll check them in the show notes.
0: I, I agree with Jez. Um, and that was amicable, by the way. There was no, no interesting was. discussion. No, it, it,
3: was, it was amicable.
0: Here, here is the problem. Right? The problem is that when you play at an event that doesn't have a perfect table, you've got this crappy gaming mat that's wrinkled at the edges you can't actually see where the exact edge of the board is and you know you throw dice around and your model isn't actually exactly where you placed it or you place it and you knock it as you're moving your hand off it or something like that these tiny things matter right and not only that having to as jeremy's already said having to sort of agree with your opponent where your model can and can't go without playing against yourself because you can't actually sit there If I see a spot I can escape into um, and my opponent says to me, do you agree that I can't get out? I've got to then take more of the time off of his clock by showing him a place that I can get out to. This can take, you know, five, this is going to take 10 minutes sometimes to get movement Mm. right. Uh, It's just, it's not fun. It takes away from the rest of the game. And it just feels bad because you've got a bloody plane. Like the thing is literally flying in the air. Who cares (laughs) if it has to fly an extra, you know, (laughs) bloody, you know, 10 metres this way, right? Like, it's a plane. The guy's standing on the ground. It's
1: not landing every turn to shoot at you. Jesus. It's literally one of the silliest, like, suspensions of disbelief you could possibly do. Um, and, yet, yeah, that's the, what the rules we've been playing with for the last kind of couple of years. So, moving on from that one, um, tri-pointing. So, a big part of movement is tri-pointing and trapping units. Now, this, we're sticking with Matt for this one because this is Matt's, essential, like, essentially – I don't want to say claim to fame, but you did this more than I saw anybody do this that I ever played against. Like you would be tri-pointing multiple units every turn at all opportunities. Even if you didn't gain you that much, you'd still just like muscle memory, tri-point something. Um, how, does this, how does this affect the way you play
0: the game? So look, when you're playing like a five or a six round tournament and you're not playing players who are the greatest in the first couple of rounds, the reason that you oh, can get so to- brutal. The reason you can get so drunk and still play as well as I do sometimes is that you just pin people's stuff and they
1: can't shoot you. Um, You Like, normally, dude, you manage to kiss everybody and say that you're awesome in like the same breath. Like, well, look, I'm not going to disagree.
3: Look, I have to resist (laughs) about six different jokes there, which I'm happy to not (laughs) say.
0: Oh, man. It's it's not everybody, right? But a lot of the time, like, it's It's a real thing, right? A lot of the time you have people who are newer to the game, who haven't played as many events, who just aren't as good as you are. it's just it's a fact of the game. I always try to be really nice to these people and explain to them what they can do uh, to avoid it happening in the future. But the quickest way to end those games was very often moving plague bearers, wrapping a unit, and then smiting
1: their army. And that's because you 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 know there's a six there's six more. It's CanCon. There's there's seven more games over across three more days. It's the middle of summer. You want to wrap these games up as quick as possible because rest
0: and longevity is a real thing. Nine more cans in the boot of my car that I want to go drink. Yeah, those sort of things. Um, <laughs> it, it,
1: it, exactly. So
0: having this, it, it isn't going away, right? Tripointing is not going away because you can still tripoint two units and still get value out of it. Uh, yeah. And there's still you know units that you can't fall back from. So there's the Night Lords stratagem. There's the the Ashen Axe. There's other the, uh, witches, you can't fall back from witches with certain units. It, it's not completely going away, uh, but it is now harder to do. I actually think this is, uh, again, I think it's a negative change given that uh, it, it, it's it's going to hurt uh, newer players more than it's going to hurt experienced players. Um, yep. Sure. Especially given the charge changes now that those units that are charging aren't getting overwatched by everything. Uh the units you get into combat are going to be stronger, they're going to be more healthy, they're going to be more likely to be able to stand up to being punched up by more things. Uh, I don't necessarily think this is a good change for the game. However, I understand what they're trying to do by making this change.
1: They're trying to eliminate a feel-bad, a feel-bad emotional reaction to a a fundamental part of what had become a cornerstone of 40k and 8th edition.
0: I can definitely agree. I I know that people who I've played against have been really upset when they realized they, you know, now can't shoot anything in my army. And that, that look, that 100% feels bad. But at the same time, you know, it's kind of what that list was built to do. Uh, And perhaps it's a bad thing. Perhaps it's not a bad thing that 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 archetype is going away because it was non-interactional sometimes.
3: Mm. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I agree a a, a lot with that. But I also think it could be turning a feels bad into a feels worse. I think that is said. Perfectly. I think the
1: amount of times people feel bad is gonna drop off dramatically, but the times you do feel bad are gonna feel horrific. Like if that yeah, makes sense.
3: They're built in this infrastructure into the game now where uh you know, for example, you have the command point strategy to actually break out of, of the wrap. You've got wrapping is harder because um obviously you need to kind of wrap two units so that they can't use the stratagem effectively. is also more difficult because of coherency issues as well. However, like the thing is, in the past, what used to often happen was players, like like players that aren't as skilled in the game or aren't as, as whatever you want to say, like experienced. Sometimes they would just say to you, "I'm wrapping this thing." Like they would, they would like position. They would get their charge off, and then as the they're consolidating, uh, they'd say, "Oh, by the way, I'm wrapping your rangers, or I'm wrapping your guardsmen," and you just kind of say, "Okay, mate, that's fine. I know what you're doing." You'd let them just do it because you just knew that wrapping was an accessible thing that you didn't really want to have to make them do it or you didn't want, because then they might say, oh, well, this was actually supposed to be here. You know, I was mm. just deploying know, You know what I mean? I know how to do it. You'd say, okay, fine. You just let them get these wraps off. Whereas now that wrapping is going to become more difficult, you're actually going to have to do the rap and do it expertly for it to work. And I think the good players are still going to be able to do it. I think really yeah. good players like Matt, like you guys, like, you know, all the players that already can wrap, I think we will be able to do it. And when we see that opportunity to get a wrap two units that are too close to each other, okay, we can actually get a double wrap here and we go and do it, we will be able to do it the whole way through. Whereas some of the less experienced players just won't be able to necessarily sequence it properly. And because it's such a skill test, I don't think players are just going to let you do it now. They're not just going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you got the wrap. They'll actually make you do it properly, maintain coherency, Everything has to be done really expertly. And I really think it's going to actually, where people think it's equalizing the skill situation, I actually think it's separating it. So I think it's become a feels worse. Fair enough. Yeah. Adding to that, I
0: actually also think when you start doing it to players who aren't as good, who are still learning to to play the game a bit better, you're going to be able to start getting to pay that 2 CP every turn. And by turn three, they're going to be looking pretty sparse. if They've been spending command points and other things, you know, Draining out two or three turns of 2CP to fall back, uh, and not really sacrificing important units to do so. Uh, look, it's not it, there's not no cost to doing this, right? Like, the command cost is very real.
1: I'd already, in my head, I mean, I well, firstly, we gotta get we gotta dumb down the the players aren't as good stuff, <laughs> but uh, apart from that, um, I, I was already thinking, like, well, wow, a Calidus Assassin, the two, two turns of Reign of Confusion, if I could just get that to proc. Once or twice, that is – and I'm yeah. making people – like if I'm rapping on turn one, turn two, and making people use that, that's that's half their 12 CP gone, turns one and turn two, uh, from stuff that they – that did not add to their efficiency or their durability or their reliability. It was just literally wasted CP down the drain. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I think that there's something that can absolutely be leveraged. And to
0: clarify, it's not about players aren't as good or players are bad. It's about people not knowing the mechanics of every single army and the game and the implications of very small things. It's a very complicated complicated. game to learn at a high level. Uh, It's a very complicated, you know, rule set to understand when you're talking about 30-plus books and literally infinite interactions. Uh, And The things that really good players will see when they come up to a table is that they'll see these opportunities to get raps that, other players that are less experienced won't realize the implication of, but it's not about putting anybody down. It's more just about explaining that rules like this that are supposed to help players who are learning to get better actually don't do that.
3: Well, and there's also something else. And Adam, I don't want to jump into too much into what you were planning, but um, with with the CP changes to pregame CP, um, having to go onto your list, like we might see people starting the game with really small CP pools. Yep, that's fair. So where like you know in the past where you could say oh actually normally i would spend and as a death watch player i would have this come up where sometimes i would spend seven or eight cp pre-game on like yeah death visions Visions of sanguineas extra relics extra warlord traits like Mm. deep striking vets all that stuff um whereas if i was playing a game i really needed cp i could just say okay i can actually live without some of these things whereas you can't do that now and that might mean that some people really start with tiny cp counts that you could just as you guys have said just abuse it and and play mind games with them and wrapping i think will really be um still in the game not fair enough and this is when you guys were saying that fly screens might be dead this is the reason i think yeah if
1: if you if you can i would think that a good top level all comers list should always have one cheap flying unit whether it's Mm -hmm. one of the new Ad mech flying dudes with the taser goads or the, the flasher blasters, just so if in that clutch game where you're like, this guy is good enough to get a double wrap off, you make sure one of those things is a fly thing you can wrap and the other one you can fall, you get the fallback strat on. Um, and I think being able to do things like that at a high level will be a, will be a big, and this, this buys into what you guys are saying, it's going to be a big way that differentiates players. And um, there's no other ways to say that. But moving on from the movement phase, we have quite a few more phases to go, boys. Uh, we're up to the psychic phase now. There's not a huge amount that's changed here that I was able to see, or a huge that's pivotal that's changed from A to Newton. The biggest one that I could see was that you can't psychic. You can't use psychic powers if you fell back.
0: Yes, that really sucks. I don't like it.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 and all right, we'll the, put both of these together because I think you're gonna have the same response. You must complete all of a unit's psychic powers before you move on to another one. Yes, Feel free that, to say the same thing again. That really sucks. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> um, the, the reason you, so I think, I think that I can say that both of you guys play armies that intrinsically want to be able to chop and change. I know Eldar, Psychic, psychic Powerhouse, like Harlequins and Eldar, you know, Eldride having three powers and councils and stuff. And on top of that, you know, literally every army, every time I played against Matt Morisoli, he has, a, has had a minimum of four Psykers. How do you guys adapt to this?
0: Um. I, I think a lot of the flexibility is coming out of the game. So I think all the the relics and stuff you do before the game, like Jeremy was just talking about, uh, are being changed. A few other bits and pieces with stratagems are being changed. This is just another one of those things uh, where you're not not really getting the opportunity to see what all your smites do before you use your targeted smites. If you're using a thousand suns list, for example, again, not that I think that uh, that type of uh, that type of list is necessarily going to be competitive in ninth. But it just, it takes flexibility away from what you can do. And also it's a gotcha. Also, it's someone forgets to do a power and, you know, you'll get that one person who turns around and says, well, actually, sorry, mate, you didn't do it. Um, you know, I, re- I really don't like that either. Uh, but then by the same time, this actually gives validity to not letting them do it because there is an advantage gained by seeing you know, what information you have available after everyone else has cast the rest of their powers. So it's just, it's one of those gotchas that's kind of valid. That you'd feel bad about doing, but sometimes it would be the right thing to do. Not that you know making the game unfun for your opponent is the right thing to do, but it's also you, know, you don't want to play with a disadvantage when you don't have to as well. It's sort of that balancing act, and it's one of those things that makes you feel bad for doing. It makes your opponent feel bad because they made a mistake. It's just not a good thing for the game, in my opinion.
1: So I'm of a I'm of, sure of a completely different opinion. I think what all this all this really would tell me to do now is that if I've got a cast that they can cast. Multiple things. I no longer diversify because what I used to see a lot of people do was they'd have one buffing power and one damaging power on a Psyker, Eg, that would be like um, they'll have Doombolt and they'll have uh, Gaze of Fate on this on one dude. But now what you what you're probably more likely to do is put two buffing powers on a guy and then another guy has two damaging powers, so that because because what I, what I what I see people do I know Matt you do this you would go and you you get all your buffs off first so you know where you have to spend your cp you know where your gaze of fate needs to be you know how to line things up and what what you what you're looking for and where you need to put your psychic powers because you know where you're safe and where you're exposed now i think that, that that's still going to be it's still easily be the case it's just that you need to have the buffs on the same guys so you get them all off in the same time and you all your damaging buffs on the same guys and get them all off at the same time so i think there's ways to work around this where it's not going to be this negative gotcha thing and honestly I'll say right out now, if somebody forgets to cast a second power on a guy, I'm I'm probably going to let them do it. Like in all real in all reality, unless it's WTC at that level, maybe then I'll question it. Whether it's you know you know mm. the people to were standard sometimes, I'm not going to give a crap. Like
2: yeah, just no, in, 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 dude,
1: you, sorry, I'm
0: just going to cut in there. You're telling me if someone has a psycho with two offensive powers and one defensive power, and they cast their smite and they do everything else, and they come back and they realize there's one model left, and they say, oh, I forgot to do my other offensive power. You're gonna let them do it? Of course, you're not gonna let them do it. It's it's you know they've waited to see what the result of every other power is, and now they're doing that guy. You know they, they're choosing to make a decision
1: based on the information they've gained by not doing that. Legitimately, the first time they made that mistake, totally, I let them do it. That's fine. Okay. If, they, if, uh, that, if that's the thing that they, if that's a behavior, I start keying in onto that they're actually leveraging like that misinformation for or that if I feel like they're being deceptive with it or weaponizing it, no way. But you know that that's a gut feeling thing you have to do game by game.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think it's very minor situations in which the sequencing changes. I think some it, it you'd be surprised at how much it isn't as important as people would think with the sequencing. But there are some things I can think of, like back with Yunari, how you would wanna you would wanna cast your most important powers first so you know whether you need the CP reroll on it. Yeah. Um so like with your brain, when your brain used to do Word of the Phoenix, you would wanna go, like for example, you'd cast Guide on the Dark Reapers because uh, you need guide first and then you would go okay i'll leave that that fast here can chill for a sec now i'm going to cast word of the phoenix and see if i need the cp on it and if you need the cp on the real you use it and then because if you do or don't need the cp then you progress with the rest of your psychic phase knowing whether or not you have yeah. a cp available whereas now exactly. that you have to do the cycle all at once you might do something like your brain might go word of the phoenix um and then she you know, for example, you need the CP to get it. Obviously, that doesn't exist anymore. But you get you if that's if you need that CP, or you don't if, if you don't need that CP, that information then suspends longer. For example, because that you don't get to use it on the fast here that had to cast both powers when when um, she used guide. So yeah. there are examples where I mean I know it's very niche, but it 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 does exist. There are advantages that you lose. But I think, to be honest, the, the clarity you gain from just having to do it, I actually think it's probably a net positive. Ah, fair enough. I think that's well said as well. I, and I, I don't disagree with – like
1: I think the proof will be in the pudding and it'll come out which way um, this is going. But we're moving on to the shooting phase. And this one, uh, this first one is one that uh, is applicable to me in a lot of the ways I played guard. So restrictions on shooting multiple weapons. For example, if you, let's say you have two plasma cannons on a Russ and uh, you must resolve those at the same time now if you even if you're shooting at different targets they have to be you know have to roll them essentially like one after the other straight away because what i would do is i would shoot one plasma cannon let's say there's a there's a, a model with three wounds i'm going to overcharge my plasma cannon shoot it into that aggressor leave one on one wound shoot the heavy bolter try and pick off that guy and then the next plasma cannon goes into the next one and i can't do that anymore and i think this is going to be a big impact on things with many 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 um, armaments things like knights things like um baneblades storm surges hell even Never mind, I was gonna say like broadsides, but that doesn't affect them at all, actually. <laughs> uh, but guys, is this, is this gonna change anything you guys do? Well,
3: I think it certainly it, it slightly adjusts the shooting, um, of, of guns that have very different granular profiles, like that. Um, yes. that you do exactly what you're talking about there and say, okay, now it's good for this, now it's good for this. But I think overall, um, it's just for clarity. I think even though you could argue that some good players that are that know how to do those slight changes, um, lose that edge. I think it's okay to be gaining clarity overall because it just means now that it, you know, and, and once again, if your opponent accidentally makes a mistake, you'll probably let them have it. But if you know that they're losing, uh, they're doing it specifically efficient for efficiency sake, you wouldn't let them have it. Yeah. Especially now that it, that is clarified. I'm okay with some the, the only problem is I'll, I'll step in and say like, the only thing is I think. While I'm I'm happy with a lot of these changes for the sake of clarity, like the things on the list, pregame stuff on your list, various things we've said, you know, psych is doing all their powers together, all these type of things. I think like individually, you could look at those changes and say, oh, that's really cool that we're getting a bit of clarity. But when you put it all together, there is the concern that the game will lose a lot of the shades of gray that make it really fun and interesting to to pull off little tricks. Um, yep, that is a, that is a kind of devil's advocate comment, though I think to say,
1: yeah, I, and that's another one where the, I think the proof will be in it. I mean, the first GT or five game that we go to, and we play five different armies, and we're not able to adjust our warlord traits and pre-game stuff on the fly, we'll we'll know whether this has been a good or a bad change. But happily enough, at least everybody's stuck with the same stuff. Um, This next change is quite a significant one. Monsters and vehicles being able to shoot into combat. Now, this is no surprise. Mm -hmm. This has been out there for a bit. Uh, You're minus one to hit when you're shooting stuff within engagement range of yourself, but you can declare to fire at stuff outside of your engagement range. As long as at the time you come to resolve those attacks, there's nothing within your engagement zone. So your engagement zone being the the um, one-inch ring around your base. So, yeah, I mean, I love this change personally but well, most of because I play guard, but of course, of course I'd say that. But Matt, this, uh, is a bigger, cha- is a bigger change to you than I think uh, the other, the other two of us. So what do you think?
0: Yeah. So obviously with chaos units that go in and wrap tanks and or tag tanks or whatever they're doing, uh, I guess this is the the downside of not getting overwatched is you now just get shot next turn at, mm-hmm. uh, yes. at negative one. So like, I guess uh, you take the good with the bad. Right. Um, uh, I think it's really, really interesting. I think the first time um, that someone you know you, you charge your your bloodletters into a limb in Russ and they put all the guns into your rust, and then they you know shoot the battle cannon, and then they kill four bloodletters, and you pull all the bloodletters that are in combat with them out, and now they lose the rest of their shooting. That's going to be a feel bad as well. Mm, that's uh, going to be a, a very
1: a very good tactical choice by the.
0: You're you're, you're absolutely right. It, it, this is this I think is a really cool change because it, it's going to mm. create this uh, this interesting. Uh, this interesting metagame and sort of mental battle you're going to have with your opponent about, well, you know, I've got this tank in combat with this unit. How much shooting do I put in there? I don't want to waste my, yeah. you know, my, w- w- what's the uh, the repulsive mega cannon called? I don't want to re- re- waste my repulsive macro, macro killer gun on Brimstone <laughs> Horrors. But um, <laughs> at the same Lanes time, you know, I don't, Yeah, that, that's what it is. But at the same time, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to lose that shooting altogether. And then it becomes, you know, how much do I put into this unit? How much do I risk splitting off? Um, and then when they shoot everything at your unit, you, you know that, you know, as soon as you shoot one gun, you know, you're going to be out of combat. So you have to put some of that shooting into other units. Uh, you can't just yeah. put everything into the into the unit you're in combat with because as soon as you do that, you're going to kill whatever one gun kills, right? If it's a Punisher, you know, shooting a bunch like of so, shots, you're pretty happy. But if it's
1: so, you're saying because the uh, but wouldn't you declare all the weapons on it at once and when they all be resolved? In sequence, surely, surely if I declare all the weapons on a Lehman Rust into a unit engagement range, they'd all get to fire, yeah, because they've all been declared at the same time.
0: Yeah, but going back to the shooting multiple weapons rule, it sounds like you resolve them one, uh, sorry, each weapon at the same time, but still one at a time, right? So if you remove a model from engagement range, that tank's no longer in engagement
1: range. That's my understanding of it. Again, I could be wrong here. Okay. Well, we'll t- we'll take a look at that at a later date. But there's, there's, if that's correct, there is a lot more nuance into that little interaction than I thought. But um, I've got a feeling they're all just declared at the same time as they as they would have been in Eighth Edition. Um, the next one is this. See, this is one of the one of the biggest changes to the game. At the end of Eighth Edition, we had, I believe, the closest thing we've had to Hero Hammer since Fifth Edition or Fourth Edition. Um, we had characters all over the place doing either insane amounts of work or standing in the back and scoring insane amount of points for their points cost. Um, But now the lookout search changes uh, tip this completely on its head. Characters can be targeted if they are not within three inches of a vehicle, a monster, or at least a unit with three or more models. So as soon as there's there's no monster, vehicle, or unit uh, under three models, you can just shoot the guys. Um, So that's huge for all of us, to be honest. Like my company commanders... uh, uh, they're just dead meat. If, if I get the, if they get to make put off two orders, uh, I'll be a happy man. But uh, Jez, what do you think about
3: this? I think it's a huge change. I mean, it, I it's think it's obvious. One of the biggest changes. Yeah, I, I mean, like I haven't actually put any models on the table and tried pra- uh, practicing ninth yet. I've, you know, me and my little group of friends were still playing eight. But in fairness, like, like as someone that played Eldar and I've played marines, is like death watch. None of the, neither of those lists are, are, you know, a hoardy list. They're elite armies, and um, I got quite good at using things like characters to help beef out my screening options. To say like, okay, I've got a unit of five scouts here, then I got my um, this character here, then I got another character over there, and you you measure out that eighteen inch gap between your characters, and then therefore you're screening that all the area in between. Um, Whereas now that just isn't a thing, and that just means that armies that were very elite that used characters. Uh, to to block out screening. Obviously, there is terrain, as Eric mentioned earlier in the podcast, terrain rules have changed and terrain becomes a lot better at obscuring. But I think characters holding those objectives in the middle of the board while the rest of your army goes forward, it's not going to happen anymore. And it also means that um, you can't have that, like you know, you say you've got a couple of units of uh, infantry engaging um, uh, you on one side of the battlefield; they can't screen for that character that that just had all these buddies killed on the other side of the battlefield anymore. So characters will have to cluster around what they want to protect them. But if you just kill those couple of units around the character, you can then kill the characters. So it just wasn't the case before. Legitimately
1: like this, this almost has the feel of a characters almost have to be part of a unit again. Like they were in every edition apart from last one. Whereas like where a character would actually be in, maintain and stay within coherency of a unit it was attached to until it moved off or they all died or they all looked absurd. So this this feels a lot more like that. Like in every way, apart from literally saying they're part of the unit, they need to be chained to something if you want them to be safe, especially from line of sight shooting weapons. So like you've got five – so let's say you've got five intercessors that can be seen and then your character's out of line of sight on the other side of the wall. You kill the five intercessors and then your Thunderfire cannon kills the character. Like even if you've got a hundred guys between you and them, if they're not within three inches, they don't mean anything to this interaction. So I think this is going to be a huge change to so many of the ways people play. I think it's going to be a very steep learning curve
3: as well to start. Like yeah, I fully
1: okay. expect to get blitzed.
3: Yeah. I mean, um, I was just going to say before Matt jumps in just that um, it, it's going to relatively makes the sniper rule weaker. Like the rule that we obviously see, Like, you know, you've got intercessors with stalker bolt rifles rifles are quite good at sniping out characters. And I've had a lot of fun doing it with with my Death Watch intercessors since the new changes. But like, you know, like now that you don't need that rule, you just kill the infantry near the character. And then you can get, obviously those infantry can be hidden. You could have those infantry out of line of sight. But as long as you've got a way to interact with those things out of line of sight, it it certainly does make characters a lot more vulnerable than they otherwise would be. So I feel like it will change the way that small elite armies u- utilize characters, and yep. we might see less characters um, overall. Well, in
1: um, We talked about list construction before and the, the purchasing of detachments and things. We've already got less characters available to us in list construction. There's no taking uh, three battalions worth of characters. There's no taking mm. a couple of Supreme Command characters. Um, so... Not only we're going to have less characters; they've never been more killable. So I, I really think this is going to. We're either going to. So from my point of view, I'm either going to take characters that are extremely hard to kill, e.g., tank commanders that are minus one damage, or I'm going to take characters where I don't give a crap if they they die, like uh, company commanders. If they jump out, give off two orders, one CP, give off a third order, and then get splattered, chances are that's that was all they were going to do, and that's all I should ever expect from them. Um, hell, if they get to give an order at all, bonus, you know. Um, and that's, that's the way I think I'm coming into this. And I hope a lot of people are as well, because I think that there might be a bit of, yeah, like I said, there might be a bit of a learning curve for this.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to bring us back a bit more towards the seventh ed style of playing with units that have characters for those units and not really just having characters sprinkled around your army, hiding, you know, hiding at the back of the board or having six characters in a building and a you know unit of Nurglings halfway up the field, not being yeah. seen by anyone and making your characters immune to any shooting. I think it's a buff for combat armies. I think that. People trying to keep the characters safe will uh, will keep them close to other units, and that will sort of lend uh, lend itself really well to uh, combat armies charging multiple things and you know, people yeah. keeping their armies held a bit tighter together. Um, that in com- like sort of in comparison, uh, sorry, uh, in, uh, in collaboration with the the coherency rules and stuff like that, uh, I think we're going to see people spreading out a lot less unless they have a dedicated board control army, uh, and
1: that's mm. a buff for combat armies as well fantastic a buffer combat arms. i'm happy we got one in there uh moving on from that so next one will be the blast weapon so a minute so this reads that a minimum of three shots on a blast weapon if targeting a unit with six or more models and a you get auto max shots when you target against a unit of 11 plus now straight up i will just tell you right now i do i never intend to take an army with a thing that has either 11 or 29 models in it i'm either going to take Five guys, 10 guys, or 30 guys. Never, there won't be any differences in my mind unless it's like chopping out one guy to save three
3: points to get a, another tech option in if I need to be lean. Um, well, I mean, it, it obviously makes sense. Like, I think one of the things that when Eighth came around and we lost the templates, it really started to feel like Horde had this, you know, didn't clustering up, didn't have any cost. Yeah. Um, Whereas now, obviously, that's being represented by blast weapons, just being able to do more damage to bigger units. I like the change from a, I guess, a thematic and like you know just the way it, it works. But I think it's going to be difficult to implement in terms of the way they cost the blast weapons because I, I mean we've we've had blast weapons, um, you know, they've been adjusted and, and things like that through the whole uh, spectrum of of the eighth points changes. But like you look at something like a wyvern now that has forty six shots. Like the fact that it just gets twenty-four shots automatically against mm-hmm. a unit with eleven or more ten or more. Is it ten or more or eleven or more models? Eleven or more, it yeah. Just, it just I don't know, it just seems so strong that it has to be take a big hike. But then yeah, when it, it does, takes it. that points. Then it takes that points hike, but then everyone, as you said, people just start and even Eric said before, like even horde armies start just playing MSU. So now you've got this women that went from being 105 points to now being 160, 180 points that it, it's it's not actually gaining any of that benefit, really. Um, so I, I feel like this change, even though, once again, you've got those people that play Blast Weapons that, that are like fist-pumping, I don't think they realize it's probably actually going to be bad for them, this change. So I think it's going to be, well, like 8th
1: edition was, everything ebbed and flowed. Um, and maybe for the first year, the Blast Weapons are off their guts, and the second year, they're crap, and the third year, they come good. Or maybe it's vice versa or reversed. Um, mm. I can tell you right now that for 4CP... I can get a Wiven that, if it's shooting against, you know, a a, a max-sized unit, is going to get forty-eight shots. They're all going to reroll to hit and reroll to wound. That is no joke, and there's just there's no getting there's no getting around it. That is just an infinite increase in efficiency that is uh, beyond any any expectations really. And when you factor that into things like Scorpius. Um, whirlwind is that are already very expensive, but when they shoot twice it and they get max shots, are uh, absolutely horrifically devastating. Um, there, I don't think there's any other any other way of getting around it. These things are going to go up in points, possibly by 50%, maybe more. Um, and I think they, I almost think they need to, otherwise, the game is just going to be totally dominated by them. And no offense to the game, it was already dominated by line of sight shooting. Like, I mean, the yeah. last three months of the game was line of sight shooting ad nauseam, so um. Uh, yeah, I've got this. I've got this concern about about how they're going to go with this. If they, they could kill this in the ass, absolutely, by saying, "Hey, here's this one piece of line of shooting you can have. It's really good, but it's a thirty year army and it's one tank. You're not going to do it. You're just it's not going to be a thing." But at the same time, like if that is a thing, if blast weapons are, are priced out of the game, like um, the horde is just and life.
2: Right. I mean, um, and, sorry. go sorry, on.
1: One more, one more point. I, I will say I'm a little bit disappointed as as my baneblade lover that, that I am, that they get no, no, very little bonus out of this because all the most all the ones that I ran already had three d six shots, so they already had three shots. No matter what I rolled, they had three shots. So that is a little bit of a downer for
3: me personally. Sorry, go I was just going to say that obviously some weapons, like I'm not sure, sure exactly how it works, but like with like the battle cannon on a knight, for example, or the um the laser the laser oh, I'm trying to think of the name on the Castellan, the the plasma gun. Um the plasma decimator. Yeah the decimator. Like is that classified as a blast weapon? Like so yes they are. Yep. Yeah and if it is like but how often would you ever shoot that weapon at a unit of 10 or more? Like that weapon's a really an anti vehicle style weapon or an elite unit like you shoot it at breaches or something. So it feels like that unit's gonna take a points potentially points hike when it's not really necessarily gaining much out of that rule. So very true. I think CW are going to have to be really smart with the way they adjust points for these blast weapons. Cause yeah, I was honestly
1: saying like rapid fire battle cannons are legit Horde killers. Now, if you get 12 shots from rapid fire battle cannon um, against the Horde, like you're not shooting, you're not shooting that at, uh, like you're not shooting that at a tank anymore like you, you're, you're, just, you're gonna smash down 12 dudes um on top of that like the plasma decimator yeah like so that's that's uh, the cause call, wrath let's just go straight to the, the meat and potatoes cause wrath um 2d6 strength 9 minus 4 flat 3 damage when you overcharge it like you're never gonna get the the max would you shoot that like would you get 12 straight flat 12 straight shots if you're playing against a horde army you're not gonna have anything else to shoot at so you might as well um mm-hmm. But, uh, like, things like getting flat three shots, a minimum of three shots from that weapon against, say, Centurions. When you've got six Centurions in a unit, which no one's going to take now, you just take one out. But theoretically, like, six aggressive, six Centurions, there's a lot of value there still. But uh, I get what you're saying. Like, if these guys get a significant p- price hike associated with what is believed to be their new efficiency, it could be a sad day for them. All right, moving on to. Assault phase, and we're going to be we're going to be switching over to Matt here because Matt's uh, I guess our assault expert. If you haven't noticed by now, Eric has had to leave. Unfortunately, Eric the man with so he had to pike uh, probably about almost half an hour to an hour ago now. Um, he had some uh, work he had to see too uh so the first one is they've uh this is just an, this is just another clarification that i pulled out uh mortal wounds or if mortal wounds are caused by an attack in addition so let's say the emperor's sword by gilliman on a six it causes d3 mortals in addition you take the regular wounds first that's not it's not the choice by the the allocator anymore because it used to be it'd be like oh yeah i'd like to take you like you to take these three mortal wounds first and finish off this guy and then all this damage goes through you have to take the the non-mortal wound saves first allocate that damage and then take the mortals last um this might be a change for you, Matt. Does this, does this change anything that happens in your interactions? No.
0: Nah. <laughs> Fair it, enough. It's totally, look, it, it doesn't matter, right? Like realistically, yeah. it's just clarification. Um, yep. it, it, it really, it, it, if any, uh, it, if anything has changed by this, it's
1: so minute that it doesn't change anything. My thoughts as well. But I thought it was just an interesting thing to chuck out there because it's not something I've seen mentioned yet. Um, next up. The Overwatch change, guys. So Overwatch is now a stratagem. You pay your CP and one unit gets to Overwatch. So therefore it's a strat. You can only use it once per phase, unless you have it specifically stated either under your faction special rules or under on your datasheet, I believe, as the only other ways you can get Overwatch. Now this is so this is the other big buff to assault armies. Obviously, undeniably. This is a big buff to assault armies, except for Tau. But uh what do you guys think? So I, I'm I personally like this rule, but I'm not you know it doesn't change much for me. It doesn't change much of the of the way I usually go about it. So what do you guys think?
0: Uh, I don't like it. I think overwatch is really an important part of the game.
1: you are a, you're an aggressive horde player who would have copped more overwatch than in like one event than I probably would have in an entire like couple of months. But you say this is a bad change. Go for it. I don't think
0: it's good for the game. Uh, look it's 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 personally great if you want to run one hundred and twenty bloodletters and go charge things and you know, yell blood for the blood god. Look, you know, if you're that guy, then you're going to love this one. Um, yeah, this is the best. I just, I, I, I think it was such a positive change when it came into the game because obviously this wasn't always in the game. Um, I don't know why they're taking it out. I would have preferred to have seen the change be that no one gets five plus Overwatch because that was stupid. Um, that, that, that's sort of the change that I would have preferred to have seen. Uh, but at the same time, look. Again, I I, I kind of get it. It speeds up the game a little bit for some armies. It like takes away the feel bads when your random melter gun, you know, kills a knight with a couple of wounds left because you old hot. Uh, I, I I just I I think it feels not interactive again as well. It is a buff to assault armies, but you know, given the other assault changes, it kind of it kind of brings it back in line. I just I, I personally think that it doesn't really do
1: what they're trying to do with this. Um, I look. I, I don't think there's anyone beating around the bush and saying this has this has been taken out for anything else apart from a time thing. Like this is this is uh, for, in my gut feel. I, I don't know this for sure, but this is just a, a quality of life time improvement for the game. And that being like, think about an orc army. Yeah, I know. I know for a fact. I've got orc orc player friends who say they could finish a game in they could finish a game in the allocated time if they didn't have to fire Overwatch. And people weaponize that. Like I know for a fact. Like I could tell you right now, Sean Naden at LVO when he played. Can't remember who the gentleman was, but the orc player who made the top eight, he made sure he got in combat with the orc player, had him flying overwatch, piling in and consolidating from turn one. And that was a big reason why that gentleman timed out and lost the game. I'm not saying that he wasn't going to lose anyway or whatnot, and I'm not saying that was a bad thing to do, but that was just a tactic Sean employed. I'm I'm in favor of any of these little quality of life improvements that mean that when I go to a table and play, I'm more likely to finish the game to a natural conclusion to a
3: satisfying. Um, oh, I'm I'm gonna take a different approach to, to Matt because Matt's got like every reason to want Overwatch to be gone, but he's saying it's good. Whereas I have yeah. every reason to want it to stay playing primarily Death Watch at the moment, but I actually am happy it's going. Um, for the reasons you've stated. like I think Death Watch, for example, their Overwatch is absolutely brutal when you have, you know, 36 or 37 shots coming out of a, a full vet unit um, and you've got like re-rolls from the Watchmaster and you've got special ammo and you've got Doctrines now, like it's really crazy, mm-hmm. but it, it's one of those things where people just would never charge into the Overwatch anyway. So I mean, yeah. now too. So it's it is a nerf for Deathwatch because now people can just drop and charge, uh, as before. Well, so,
1: so you're saying the other other side of the coin. Um, you're saying that because your army has such a good Overwatch, it was a deterrent to an interaction. Whereas Matt was saying um, it removing it is denying an interaction. So th- this is actually yeah. really good. That's bizarre.
0: I, I'm not surprised. I, I, sorry, I'm quite surprised you feel that way. Actually, yeah, a, I'm quite surprised,
1: surprised you felt that way the way you said, Matt. Does
2: not have
3: to solve that though? Well, I guess so. But I, and I'm not saying there's a problem. I'm not saying it should. I think though, what's interesting with it is that because it's still a strat, um, people will still use it when it's really good. Like the t- like if you do charge twenty bloodletters into my vet unit, but of course I'm an Overwatch if, I'm, if I can see with them. But that just means I get to Overwatch with one unit. Maybe another unit gets to intercept for two CP. One unit gets to overwatch. So I get like two units firing and killing a bunch of stuff. But like, I think it removes some of the ridiculously toxic mechanics that occur. Like what happens if we play on a table at a tournament where there's not a great amount of terrain and you just feel like you just can't win at all because of overwatch. Like, I think, I don't know. Like, I, I think the time saving thing alone makes it worth it. Cause I feel like, you know, as much as we people like with ch- people that want to put chess clocks on the table, are quite comfortable with the way time works now i think there's a lot of people that just don't like playing with chess clocks and removing a lot of these time these long interactions that really achieve very little sometimes i think it's okay i, I i'm a, i think it's a, a small slightly positive change well so i'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit here i, I i've
1: got no problem with chess clocks i think they're a necessary fact of life for uh, competitive 8th edition players i want to see a ninth edition where they're not necessary and this is, this is a move towards that, which is a, a reason why I like it. I want to be able to take, like, let's say, an army of knights and I'm playing against orcs and be like, hey, mate, I'm only going to use about 45 to an hour here. You can have two hours for your game and it doesn't matter like it, does, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't there's no feel bads there he's got an army that needs that much time i've got an army that needs this much time there's no cutthroat there's no nothing that's just how it's going to be and i'm hoping that's what we're moving towards here because i'd like to see a world where chess clocks just aren't a talking point like we just say hey that was a bit in the past and maybe we reserve those for top tables at lvo's and novas and wtc's and for bog standard gts down with your mates you don't need a chess clock yet yeah never mind
0: I think when you take them out of the meta, though, when you do have to play with them again, it's a bit more of a shock to the system. People forget. People that don't do. hit the time back at the right time. And I think in terms of muscle memory, uh, it's important to play with them if they are going to be part of you know, the game as a whole. But nothing's telling you that your opponent time's out and you have to say, well, sorry, mate, you're done. Like I've, yeah. I've, had, I've had plenty of games where my parents timed out on, you know, the end of turn five and I've just said, well, you've got four units left. I've got five units left. Have your last turn. I'm not going to take your last turn away from you.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, there's plenty of time left. No one's saying that you have to do that, but I don't think just clocks are an, an inherently bad you know, thing for the game.
1: All right. So moving on. So Overwatch, we just talked about how Overwatch is essentially a bu- will be you know pan out to be a buff to assault armies. Here's one that is clearly a nerf, and that is that you must get within engagement range. That being one inch of all units, do you declare as a charge? So you can still declare um, anything within twelve inches, but you must get within that engagement range of that twelve inches. So this is. I think this is a monumental change, to be honest, because I don't know how many times I could tell you that I would deep strike something and just declare everything within 12 inches. But now if I do that, back then if I did that, I would take Overwatch from every unit. But now I could do that and I wouldn't take Overwatch from possibly any of those units, but I would need to be able to base every single one of those or come within an inch. So, Jez,
3: what are your thoughts? I think it's obviously huge. Um, It's a big buff to flying units that get to assault over. I believe they retain that rule to assault over. Mm-hmm. Um yep. and that's huge because it means like if you have those 15 death company, now they don't get Overwatch. Like you I mean, and you know, even if they your opponent busts a strat, they only get one unit. You can declare against those several units. And because you might you might just have thought about it and actually be able to get within engagement range of all three units you want to hit, um, which is huge, because now it means you get to fight twice with those death company and absolutely kill everything. Whereas with a unit that wants to charge it doesn't have fly. Um, just a simple screen just means that now that unit of drop, you know, whatever it might be dropping down and assaulting, let's say, bloodletters, it can't actually get into anything more than the screen. And that's horrific. Um, so that's what I think. I think it's, it's a huge – it doesn't affect flying units as much. It still affects them because they have to maintain coherency and actually engage everything. But, so, it,
1: yeah. So I can tell you as a guard player, this gives me a lot more freedom, so much more freedom. Like so if like on a on a deep striker on things that are like cracking Steelers that have come across the board from me, the layers and the distances I'd need to put between the screens, between like the layers of my cake in my deployment zone, would ha- would be horrendous. Like I'd have to be like doing so much mental arithmetic to try and figure out, oh, but if he overruns, if he doesn't overrun, if he double t- attacks, doesn't him, but he could double attack before he overruns and then and then and, and um but now literally if I've got if I've got a screen and you have to deep strike nine inches away, I could be one inch behind that screen. And then, if you can't get around the sides of it, you know, there's no physical way for you to get around the sides of the screen within, within 12 inches, a 12 inch move, then that guy is safe. You can't declare him. You can't fight him. You can still, you know, if he's too close, you can go through that screen and, and wrap the guy. But um, there's ways of getting around that, too. So I think, I, I, I think for me, <laughs> this is a good change. But I'm not sure this is a great change for a lot of players out there. I think one of these is going to be Mr. Morisoli. What do you think, mate?
0: Uh, yeah, look, I, I don't like it either. Um, I, I think, it, look, above all it's a massive nerf to all of the fight twice strategies uh yeah, quite often you charge something kill it pile in fight again kill something else as far as i understand you can still kill stuff pile in and tag things that you don't want to shoot you so that's not mm-hmm. you know that's not the end of the world there but I, I look i just think look removing overwatch here uh this was sort of always going to happen i think because otherwise there's no downside to just charging everything all the time uh yeah, it, it it just feels it it just feels bad, and it's gonna feel bad when you're five inches away from one unit and four inches away from another one, and you roll a three, and you can't get <laughs> you know you can't get yeah. to that five inch away, right? It's gonna feel bad when sort of stuff like that happens, and I really don't like it for that reason. Um,
1: but I'll- in saying that, if you, if you forget your old thinking and start thinking on new stuff, the pluses to charge are now so incredibly good now like so like the the litany the pl- the plus 2 to charge litany um like knights intrinsically having plus 1 to charge or Terran having um land strider and stuff like that these things i feel like become exceptionally good
0: well knights are a bigger problem man because you can't charge through a unit so how easy does yeah. it become to you know to screen out parts of your army that can't get shot at like I, I don't know that it is a positive change even for those units sure they might make combat reliably that you know as reliably as they do now especially given we're on a smaller board uh but look, it, it, it just it feels like a really bad nerf to everything in the game that has fight twice. And a lot of the times, what reason could you give me to run 30 Bloodletters in addition where they get gaped so badly in shooting because of the blast <laughs> changes? They get gaped <laughs> so badly in a... Maybe use different time.
2: terminology. No, that's, <laughs> not, that's not good. <laughs> yep, <keep> <laughs> <on>. <laughs>
0: they, get, they get exploited so badly uh, in the coherency and morale phases now All they really have going for them is they come down, they hit really, really hard, they fight twice, they kill a bunch of stuff, right? What reason do I have to do that when I now can charge, you know, two squads of 10 guardsmen in front of a bunch of juicy targets and I can't pile in and fight something that I actually want to kill? There's no incentive to do it. I think it's negative for that reason because uh, you're not going to want to be fighting twice with a unit of 10 bloodletters. There's no chance you're ever going to want to do that. You're not going to be wanting to fight twice with, you know, five... Tactical Marines, it's, it's just a really big nerf to a stratagem that costs three CP across the board.
1: Well, that's, yeah. I think, the thinking. You, you, I think you said it right there. What's the point in fighting twice with 10 bloodletters? There isn't because you're taking 10 bloodletters and not 30. You're going to save the fight twice stuff for when you're fighting twice into something like a Lehman Russ with 10 bloodletters, and then those 10 bloodletters can legitimately kill that Lehman Russ. Um, oh, yeah. So okay. about it. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but you, you get my thinking. It's it's not just an even
0: example though, man. It's like um, the, it, it, like think think of Bay Smash captains, right? And just literally all marine characters that are paying three CP to fight twice. These characters are going to be you know one hundred and fifty plus points now, but if they can't get to things, it's just it, it feels My like heart. a very it feels like a very very big buff to gunline armies to me. And you don't My need heart. much skill to uh to to execute this properly.
1: Where's my violin music? I need to get some violin music on repeat for the BA Smash Captain. May yeah, he rest I mean, in I
3: peace. Do, I do think that makes a good point though because what made Combat Armies like good is that when they got that, like it might take them a couple of turns to set up a big play. It might take them a couple of turns to pin on screens and kill screens, remove screens. And then they have that big turn three drop or it could even be some sort of redeploy happening afterwards. Um, or just getting in and just charging a bunch of stuff. Whereas the fact you can't do that now because screening is so much more effective. And if you don't roll, if you want to declare something 11 away, you have to roll that 11, whatever it is, a 10 or 11. Like it just means that it, that those big, huge combat turns are not going to happen as often from those big units. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think it, it is going to hurt combat armies a lot. It's going to mean that MSU armies are going to be, have, have to be a lot more important so that each different unit can just declare a different target and, you don't need to get those big 11 12 inch charges.
0: Yeah. Can anyone well, so I, I, me, I, Sorry, can anyone tell me when you'd want to fight twice now though? Like I I I can't think of any time where I legitimately want to fight twice unless my opponent has done something poor and put models in positions they shouldn't be in, right? But against a competent opponent, I can't think of a time I'd
1: ever want to fight twice. Surely if you get like Khan the betrayer into Uh, something he can't kill in one in two rounds like if he's into a a, unit of centurions i I shouldn't use can't he can kill pretty much everything but you know what i mean something of like a a smash like a a knight lord smash captain you put him into a knight he's probably not going to kill a knight in one turn especially if it's a chaos knight He doesn't get exploding everything he needs to fight twice to kill that that's where i think that that resides now it doesn't reside in being able to reach out and grab other units and kill things further away it's in actually charging something you need to fight twice to kill
0: Well, that night lord smash captain's gonna die man they're not let Smash Captain's going to die to the, the guy stomping him or, or to Overwatch or, or that's when you use your Overwatch strategy, right? I'm just saying that it was already situational for big things fighting big things. What it was really good for was big units fighting lots of things. That's what Fight Twice was really good for. Yeah, and now you, you just don't get that opportunity, I think. And I think that, that unless the that, that strategy comes down in CP to compensate for that, which I think will be exploitable in other ways, uh, I, don't think of, I can't think of a time I'd want to do it.
3: There you go well Well, all right that are unique i mean yeah never mind i was going to say death company with with like the the chaplain for the plus two charge and plus six inch or six inch consolidates and piling like they could actually hit something um and just get it like they could get just chainsaw guys tagging one unit and then the cameras can kill something and actually get in to hit the second thing and kill the second thing as well third thing whatever i think having fly obviously
0: is a really big part of that and that look that, that might be the niche place where this is, you know, still okay uh, for units like Death Company that hit really, really hard, uh, have a lot of stacking buffs and have fly. But look, that, that is pretty niche, right? Like we're talking about, you know, yeah. a, a whole lot of powerful keywords that aren't on a lot of different units.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Fair enough we'll have to move on at this point because that was a, a long time of that but that was a good discussion like it's good back and forth um the next big change is opponent chooses the first non-fighting so non-charger to fight in the fight phase so eg like if you have uh three units in combat two of which have charged your opponent gets to choose the first one after the charges have fought now i i personally like this change because i think it gave way too much agency to the, to the, the player in control when you, you'd have essentially like two, every selection was yours. There were very, very few games where it was ever, there was ever I felt the opponent's opportunity to interject when it was my charge phase, unless they paid two CP. That was the only only way you could get in, um, in the assault phase before I hit you first. Um, does anybody, you guys agree with that? Look, I, I think it's
0: much of a muchness. It's one unit, right? Um, yeah, I, okay. I, I, I really don't think it changes. Very much. I think uh look it saves your opponent on some interrupt CP occasionally. Um, but look, re- realistically, I, I I don't see it as a huge change. I think it's, you know, very much one of those things that sort of goes both ways for both players and won't really change the game very much.
3: No, that's fair. Jez, anything I'd add? Yeah, I agree with Matt. I think it, there's some niche situations where you'll feel like, Oh my god, this really hurts. But uh, mm. I think it's it's fair, yeah. No, I think it's fair. Um, last
1: one of the assault phase, eligible units to fight must be within half an inch of a, a model within engagement range rather than the one inch it was before. So this pre- boiling this down, it means that if you're on a 25 mil base, you can't fight in three ranks. So th- that's boiling this down to its absolute um, biggest applicable options. So where do you guys see this coming in?
3: Well, oh, it's another nerf to big units. Um, it's another nerf to big combat sprawling over a big distance that you try to just get within, you know, you you have a unit that can easily get within an inch of something to fight it. And then that same thing could consolidate and fight twice. Like the whole idea of fighting twice is all, as Matt said, it's already compromised. It's even more difficult now. And yeah, it just me. it's going to mean, we're going to see a lot of like Salvo type things like you send a unit in just to kill that one unit and you don't expect it to get much extra out of, out of the uh, phase. Yeah. That was what I was already seeing it from Matt was what was saying Matt was saying before.
1: Like ten minute ten man blood units, like mass ten man blood units dropping down, everyone's got a, a banner of blood or whatever. And um, you know, that that waves and waves and waves of aggression is possibly where things are gonna go in the future. But we'll have to see where it pans out. Um the upshot of this, like this this is where I see I'm going the other way than you guys. This is why I think you need to fight twice, because you can have less attacks. Therefore, more reason to fight twice because you're less likely to punch through whatever you're fighting. Like you got uh, the, the biggest application, this, so I guess is what people are saying is Orc boys used to be able to fight in three ranks. Now they can only fight in two ranks or two layers.
0: What, honestly, Dan, what I think it does is it just makes combat less viable and it's not, you're going to need fight twice to do things. You're going to say this investment is not worth it for me. So I'm not going to play this army or I'm not going to play this list. I, honestly, that that's why you're talking about Venoms. Oh, well, it's part of it, right? But look, that, that chaos list was already dead. Uh, before, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. before we even got here. So we're not talking about that, but what I'm saying is that the combination of these things culminates in it's not like, you're, you're here obviously on the other side of this where this is all good you know, good for a gun-line guard army, right? But I'm sitting here and I'm not thinking, well, this is a nerf to me, this is a nerf to me. This is reasons I can't play this army. It's not yeah, a, so have have a... Yeah, different, it, different it's, not, it, 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 it's such a nerf that it changes the mechanics of the game, not just a certain army. And yeah, yeah. this is already why... You can't fight twice. And this is why you can't spread your units out. And even if you wanted to spread your units out to try and get as many as possible in combat, if you lose a few, you know, we have the morale issues that we'll talk about shortly as well. And it just, you know, uh, it's just stacking nerfs on the Horde combat army uh, that make it look very unappealing right
1: now. No, totally fair enough. I, I don't think there's many ab- people out there who will wholesale you, disagree with you. Um, next, so that was that, that was the perfect segue because we're going into the morale phase now. Um, first thing is uh, the morale phase would be completely completely reworked. I, I think you guys will agree with me. The morale phase we had in Eighth Edition was a joke. It, it didn't matter, and if it mattered to you, it mattered a lot, uh, or it didn't matter at all. Like all Ooh, I don't know. I don't any- know. Yeah, I, I disagree with yeah. that.
0: I think it was very so, important because big units were viable in Eighth, right? Oh dude. <laughs> no, seriously. Seriously though, yeah, yeah. like big big units were viable in eighth in a way they're not going to be viable in ninth. So mm-hmm. losing ten guys from a big unit, and often big units have lower leadership, uh losing yep. ten guys put you in that position where it's do I lose five or six guys or do I spend the CP? And that's relevant, and it's a it's a one-time you know it's a, it's a one-time occurring loss of guys. I suppose if you look mm-hmm. at it this way, uh, it's very very different, and I don't think that was necessarily a bad way for morale to function. Well, so
1: I think it's better now for bigger units because you're less oh. likely to use the whole rest of the damn unit, which is what was before. So when I was running thirty conscripts. Um, and I lost, and I didn't have a Commissar, which was admittedly overpowered back then. Um, I lost 15 Conscripts. Those fifteen, other 15 Conscripts are absolutely gone, but my opponent doesn't need to shoot at them, look at them, think about them again. Now I lose one of those, and then possibly, if I've lost over half the unit, I'll use another third. So maybe I'm down to nine guys left, and I would have had zero. So I think this is a buff to bigger units. Now, admittedly, Horde armies, like most of the bigger Horde armies, needs and Orcs. Um, had inbuilt ways that they didn't care about morale. Morale wasn't even a thing. I mean, orcs had so many layers of morale mitigation, it was actually a joke for them. Like, unless you were a grot, and they didn't care about the grots anyway. And same with nids. Nids were just completely immune. You coming from a perspective of a chaos player, morale was very relevant for you, because unless you rolled a one, it was really punishing. And you didn't have very high uh, leadership, did you? Oh, well, it's not not much better than guard and everything else. It's not
0: necessarily the morale change that's the problem. It's the morale in, like you know, combined with the in, coherency in check. Context.
1: Yeah, in uh, context.
0: Yeah. So it's when you, when you bring the, again, the coherency checks the next thing on this, this checklist. When you bring that yeah, back in cool. with the morale, uh, that's when you have problems, especially on units that are trying to create a footprint. It's very similar to the conscripts here as well, but you'll, my, my gut feeling is that you're very often going to find yourself with one too many guys dying and then losing your unit down to five.
1: I, I, that, and then, then you'll enact the what is the um, attrition roll. So right now, what happens is if you fail your leadership check, which is taken in exactly the same manner as Eighth Edition, you roll you plus the amount of casualties you've had onto your leadership. Roll the dice. If you rolled over over that, sorry, you you plus your amount of casualties to your dice roll. If you rolled over your leadership, you lose that many more models. Now, if you fail that roll, you lose one model and then roll a d6 for each model left in the unit, adding plus one if you've lost if that unit is under half strength. So if it's got ten guys in a unit and you're at five guys a guy you get plus one to this role on a one another model is removed so on a one or a two if you're under half strength another model is removed so and then this this the the next one so this is the one that i'm going to be negative about so hoping one of you guys is positive about it because i feel like i'm fighting the negativity at the moment but the coherency check so after yeah. morale, morale is completed you go through a coherency check with your opponent and you check every essentially you check for any any, any units that are out of coherency and then you remove models in the I guess at the discretion of the player until you are back in coherency. Now, I, this is the this is the only one that I've seen that I have a I guess a reaction I'm not happy with because I feel like this is a gotcha in the making and I feel like at some point I'm going to have a negative interaction with this rule. I'm not saying I am, and when and when I do, it's going to be my fault. Like undoubtedly, it's going to be my fault because I've made a mistake. Now, what do you guys think? I'm hoping one of you guys has got a positive perspective here. This is the part that
0: I'm more negative about personally. Sorry, I probably should have waited till we got here uh rather than being standing <laughs> cuz that that morale that, the, the new actual morale test is you're right it's it's less harsh than the current one combined with the attrition check i think it's you know oh it's 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 probably about what it should be but this coherency check is just such a nerf for big units it's it takes away any ability to really use the uh i i guess the footprint size of a big unit uh and i, I really dislike that it, it feels tactically
1: really bad I think it feels tactically awkward because um, those yeah those big units are now are almost more restrained, and you have to well so where they were trying to I guess speed up the games in other facets. I think this one's going to be adding time to the game. Um,
3: it well, could be adding time to the game depending on the units your opponent has taken. Jeremy, you got any thoughts? I mean, I don't. I think the I don't know if I like consistency checks. I, I didn't mind just the idea that you had to reestablish coherency next turn. But the what it does do though is you get those situations where people used to trail back to auras and yep. then they would kind of, or fearless auras or re-roll auras, and when you they lost casualties, they would take models from the kind of the center of the unit so that they would mm-hmm. still have their models out in combat at the front and then they'd have their model right at the back, extending the aura. That now doesn't work because I mean it does work in for the extent of the assault phase, but then at the end you're gonna lose that model. Um so if that model was i mean i guess if it's the one making them fearless it doesn't matter because then you just at the end of the currency check then you just take it away so it i get i don't know i i I guess it's okay i don't think the rules as bad as it sounds i think it sounds a lot more devastating than it is
0: i have tried to solve a problem here really badly so the problem was obviously right you take your beginner the 30 orc boys you charge into a guard gun line you've got one guy here in combat with. 10 guys, you've got one guy here in combat with a Russ, one guy here is in combat with a Wyvern, uh, everyone else is sort of in the middle. And as you start losing guys, you leave the ones who are tagging all of these units in. So you have a unit of 10 guys left, but there are 10 guys that are, you know, six or seven inches apart from each other because they're so spread out. And then one of them trailing back to an aura. Uh, yep. That's the problem they're trying to solve, right? But what they're doing by making you have everyone within uh coherency of two means you get to this point where you just go pop. Uh, eventually you lose yeah. one too many models and then you just go pop. And I think if they just made it that everyone stays in the coherency of one, you keep you, you only remove models that are in coherency would have been the the eloquent way of doing it. So that you every time you take a model out, you maintain coherency with the models you have left. That would have been more than an eloquent way to fix this problem. And it would force you to start pulling models out of engagement range of certain units at a certain
1: point, rather than leaving yeah. one guy and with ten different things. That that's my thoughts on it. So, I'm of the opinion that they halfway fixed this uh, issue already with the the ch- the change to the charge mechanics, that being um you have to base everything that you declare as a charge. So if you can only do like and this this is specifically for the assault phase, I guess, and maintain coherency. if you can only if you can only uh, realistically, you only consider that you can charge the the easy target, you don't go for the the hard one. You've got no issues maintaining coherency. this this thing doesn't come into effect. So you're already encouraged to maintain this now what you were saying before Jez about the characters the characters now feel like they're chained to units anyway so I feel like the characters are going to be sticking closer to units than they've ever done before and you're probably going to be bubbling up two or three units around each character anyway so that's also adding in credence to maintain this coherency so I'm feeling like it could this could not be a big issue at all or it could piss some people off and I'm not quite sure which way I think it's
3: going to go just yet uh, I don't think it's that big an issue I, I think that it um, it's also mainly for the feels bads on the new players that they're like, wait a second, how are you getting fearless? And you're like, Oh, see, there's that guy in there in the same unit. And it, it just removes that feels bad. I mean, they still get fearless. Um, that's the thing. It doesn't even change that mechanic that much because the, the morale check happens before the key- I think it would have been better if they made the coherency key- check happen before morale, because then there would be an obvious, a uh, more, in addition to what Matt's saying, another reason to do it that feels bad. Fair enough. Well, moving on to closing thoughts. So
1: we've, we've systematically gone through pretty much all the changes, little changes, big changes, good changes, bad changes. And um, I can, I can safely say we've ended it on a, a pretty down note. So we're going to lift this puppy up. We're going to lift up this sentiment. Um, what are you
3: guys excited about going into ninth? Jeremy. Well, I mean, I think a lot of the things we've said, like while there's been a bit of negativity, I, I think the overall what they've done is they've cleaned a lot of stuff up. So the edition seems yeah. so far very clean, a lot of unnecessary extra wording, and the rule book seems to have been condensed. I think I'm most excited about, uh, like I think that obviously the way the armies play are going to change. I'm excited about seeing more kind of mono armies, less just soupy things. I know there already were a lot of mono lists going around, But I think with the points changes, I'm keen to see new points. I'm keen to see a fresh metagame. And I'm keen to try some Eldar, actually. I think uh, that Eldar will be quite strong. And just with a bunch of changes we've already spoken about, how obviously fly, you can tag things that fly uh, and they can't fall back and shoot. But now you've got those heavy weapons that can move and fire at full capacity on vehicles. So that'll be really good to see. Same on scat bikes. And Eldar also have a good little repertoire of out-of-line-of-sight of sh- uh, out of of shooting that also can ignore cover with their hmm. uh, expert craft, uh, with with one of the, not the expert craft, the other one that ignores cover. You can yeah. combat that with expert crafters. I actually think Eldar will be quite good. It'll be interesting to see, uh, but I'm most excited to just to see everything drop and just get a really fresh metagame that, you know, we haven't had in pretty much three years. Like in, in three years, we've had this edition and, I guess the metagames, as Eric said before earlier, he said that we've had a consistent meta uh, um, adjustment. We've always been adjusting to the meta. But what mm-hmm. we're going to see now is some quite radical changes that will actually change the whole way the game is played, which I think is really cool. So I'm super yeah. keen. Yeah. Awesome. Matt, what are you excited about? Yeah, look, I-, I love edition resets,
0: regardless of if they look overly negative or positive on mm-hmm. paper when you first yeah. start. Uh, it, it it's one of those things where right? it's like when you, you play through a video game when you're a younger kid and you finish the game and you really, really love it. And the second time you play it through, it's not quite the same because you already know what happens. But when you start a new edition, you actually, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to win that first event that you know, happens in your local area. You don't know what's going to be top dog in a month's time. You don't know what you're going to find going through your old collection of stuff and realizing, oh, you know, holy crap, this unit I've had sitting on my shelf for five years is all of a sudden amazing because of this cool little interaction. Um, so it's just sort of the digging through, digging through books and looking for for cool little new combos and new ways of using certain units. And I guess you know when we started eighth, the concept of screening and pinning was very different to uh, to how it is now. And I, I can't wait to see what the next sort of big concepts to master are going to be.
1: So you're looking forward to a new skill set. You're looking forward to new skills to adapt to and yeah, new, new, exactly. new mechanics to evolve in. And... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, good set. Well said. All right, what are you guys going to be playing first? I know, Jez, you said Eldar. You said maybe uh, more, more an Eldari, like, uh, you know, craft
3: Worlds. Well, I think so, yeah. I've like, always been a fan of craft Worlds, And, I mean, a lot of the things Eric said earlier resonates a lot, like how he mentioned that, you know, you only have five turns. You don't have that six-turn game or seven-turn game anymore. So now you it feels like because the the game's shorter and some things are going to go up in cost, in terms of their uh, the price of shooting units, we're seeing a lot of the baseline, um, porty style units like term against five points. It's going to be interesting to see whether on like, how the missions are. And obviously, it's very mission dependent, but I am very keen to have a look at exploring, I guess, Eldar's ability to, um, utilize, I guess, like, quite a high volume of fire on a lot of their weapons that previously. Were kind of bad because they had the heavy status. They they hitting on threes, yeah. so hitting on fours. Now hitting, going back to threes, having a good amount of out of line of sight shooting, being quite mobile. I reckon that all and being able to ignore cover, I think combines in what might be quite a strong army out off the gates. But obviously, it depends on what their points adjustments are. Yeah. Any other factions you're excited about, or just sticking with the Craft Worlds? Uh, sorry, what was that question? Are there any other factions you're excited about, or just the Craft Worlds? Oh, I'm keen to see what happens with Death Watch. Um, yeah. And, of course, also keen to see what happens with some of the lesser factions um, that aren't, don't get as much love at the moment. Things like Custards and, um, you know, other, other kind of Necrons. I'm super keen to see what they do with Necrons. But, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. And, Matt, what are you – so you said you're going to be playing, I guess, a
1: Drakari mix at the moment. So what are you excited about there? Oh,
0: I think I'm just really keen that MSU is kind of
1: back. Yeah, well, it's been—it's dude—it's been a while between drinks to the Yeah,
0: awaits to be seen how competitive it is in the, I guess, the competition rule set that we're going to end up playing. We'll sort of, I guess, we'll see how that that all plays out. Uh, but look, I, I've you know I've got a pretty sizable dark eldar army that I've had for for many years, and it'll be cool to to break those out sort of semi competitively again. As um, ironically, actually, Jeremy's going back to eldar, and I'm going to go back to dark eldar, and that's what we <laughs> yeah, no. were we were playing. Uh, you know, multiple games a week at the the start of eighth, where Jeremy was playing Dark Reapers and I was playing a bunch of Dark Eldar yep. playing. So it's kind of funny how you yep. you sort of gravitate back towards that sort of stuff at the start of a new edition. And
1: man, I'm going to play in Mech Guard, so I'm going literally straight back to where I started at eighth edition. <laughs> so oh, I, exactly the same. Um, any other factions you're excited about, Matt?
0: Oh look, obviously I want to see what happens with all the the Chaos books. Um, there are obviously I've got a, a pretty deep level of faction knowledge there, and I understand uh sort of what's going to be good and bad for a lot of those units and that's probably provided the lens for a lot of my feedback on this episode so it'll be cool to yeah. see you know what becomes good i think it's going to be a very very different landscape you're going to see a very different chaos list mm. of what you were seeing before i actually Absolutely think some right. of the lists that have the the forge world dreads and stuff like that are going to be quite good being able to shoot into combat and not get tagged up which was quite a big problem for them before uh plague verse crawlers being able to shoot into combat is going to be great i'm sure oh, yeah, it'll be amazing man. um so look Chaos definitely not, you know, not not dead in the water, but we'll see what uh what happens when uh when people start putting lists together with some some points cards for them.
3: Well, fantastic, gentlemen. Um a chance for you guys to plug anything you'd like to plug. Um yeah, check out the Rubric podcast. You can find that on Facebook um at the Rubric podcast and yeah, it's me and Leo Toro from Team Australia. We'll probably have some new episodes up shortly, but for those that haven't heard that podcast before, Three lovingly crafted podcasts currently up for viewing <laughs> and listening, listening pleasure. Fantastic, uh,
1: Matt. Anything you'd like to plug? Anything you'd like to mention?
0: Uh, yeah, if you, as I mentioned before, if you don't already, uh, go ahead and follow uh, the Team Australia 40k page. Uh, obviously, the uh, Jeremy and I are both playing uh, in the 2021 team as it currently stands, barring acts of God or jeremy and i are getting into another altercation on the tabletop uh, <laughs> uh, yeah we uh we post yeah. some cool stuff on there and yeah, if you are keen to sort of see uh some updates from the team uh yeah go follow us over there
1: fantastic all right that's gonna wrap us up for our 0.2 episodes this is the i guess the the prelude to the the real episodes that'll be coming and this is just a I guess it's a taste of what we can possibly have in store for you guys. If you guys liked what you've seen, please go to Patreon, uh, check us out there, or look us up on Facebook at just Out um, of War Down Under, and then you'll you'll find links to our Patreons as well. Um, get involved. Get get. Hopefully, you guys have found this interesting and, and intriguing, and a good dissection. Give us uh, any all feedback is welcome, of course. Please try and keep it polite, if at all possible. And uh, yeah, see us on the next one. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on this very first podcast episode of Art of War Thanks, Down Under. Adam. And thank you, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Eric, who's no longer here. And thank you, Mr. Morisoli.
0: Thanks, guys. Make sure you bag out, Adam, in the comments. Thanks for having fun.
1: Oh, <laughs> savage.
0: See you later. See ya. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under.